Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, good morning, everybody. Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley, a brisk but sunny February morning. I'm Glenn Mack, now joined by my pal Ray Didier. How was the walk, Ray? Uh-oh, I don't hear Ray. Chilly. There you go. <laughs> okay. Brisk, good exercise. Yeah, nice blue skies, but uh, definitely February out there. Yeah, it's good for you. It's easy I for you to say in your, in, your fuzz, in your fuzzy slippers <laughs> with, your, with your mug of hot coffee in your hands. You got that exactly perfect. Uh, anyway, always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, and a lot going on today over the three hours, the course of the next three hours. Um, we have uh, certainly a lot of football news involving the NFL and involving your Philadelphia Eagles. The NBA trade, line, trade deadline is days away. We're going to get into that momentarily. And, and really what we think is going to be a special treat for you coming up at noon. Ray, I'll let you drive this one off the tee. Oh, uh, well, yeah, we've, uh, we just passed a, a real threshold here with, uh, with, our, with our 100th, 100th installment of, of Tell Us Your Story. Uh, that was last Saturday's uh, interview. And a terrific interview it was with Earl the Pearl Monroe. Uh, but we felt like, you know, hitting hitting that kind of milestone that we should mark it somehow. And um, so what we did was we put together, um, we decided to put together a best of Tell Us Your Story, a look back over the over the past two years of the interviews that we've done and some of the people we've, ta- we've talked to, some of the stories they've told, and select the best of it and put it together in one show. And as it turned out, when we start compiling it, we had enough for, as Jody McDonald would say, not one, <laughs> not two. But three installments of Best of Tell Us Your Story. And so the first one we will do today at noon, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. People yeah, get and the to, one today um, yeah. focuses on championship moments, great moments. And right. so we have people like Jay Wright uh, winning the, uh, the NCAA title and Bobby Clark winning the Stanley Cup and George Foreman winning the heavyweight championship and Dawn Staley and Chris Long winning the Super Bowl here and more. So we think you will enjoy it. Um, we enjoyed putting it together, and we really enjoy doing Tell Us Your Story. So it's, uh, it's a real fun thing for us. Okay, uh, let's get into the news of the day. I'll put the basketball second because that, to me, remains speculative. Um, the news that I think a lot of people here really still care about is that on Thursday, our old pal Doug Peterson got the job as head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was, not surprisingly for Jacksonville, a long, complicated process. Doug was the first guy they interviewed, and then they interviewed a whole lot more, including Byron Leftwich, who people thought might have a shot. He took himself out, um, told basically the 
the Jaguars' ownership that he he could not work with their GM Trent Baalke. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not alone owner, in that. Pardon me. He's not alone in that regard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was looking this up, Ray. Trent Baalke has had three coaches. He had two coaches his last two years in San Francisco. Uh, What's that guy's name? Tom Sula was that his name? Yeah, Jim Tom yeah. Sula. And and Chip Kelly <laughs> lasted one year. Then he goes to Jacksonville, hires Urban Meyer. He doesn't last even a season. They go three and fourteen. So it's a mess of a franchise. It really has been over the last few years, kind of a joke of a franchise in the NFL. So I lead you, Ray Dinger, with the question: Can Doug Peterson has he got a shot to succeed down there? Uh, I think he does. I think he's a good coach, uh, and they have a couple things going for him. I, I do think they have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you, now if you watched him this year, um, people would say, "Geez, everybody was excited about this guy," but. You got to understand the situation that he found himself in. I mean, <laughs> Urban Meyer was his coach. Urban Meyer no more wanted to be coaching that team than I did, uh, and the offense was a mess. And uh, he didn't have much around him, and it was just a disaster. But I still believe Trevor Lawrence is is a very very talented young quarterback. So Doug, starting with that, yeah, uh, and, and Doug is and and let me just join in on this. Doug is a quarterback. Doug's done well with quarterbacks. Doug played the position. In the league, he he started as a coach working with quarterbacks. I know that Carson Wentz may have turned into a disaster, but that 2017 season, Carson Wentz was terrific, and Doug, along with Frank Reich and John DiFilippo—that was his name—was mm-hmm. was a good part of that. I think it, it. We have seen some quarterbacks come in and do so well off the start that we have these unrealistic expectations sometimes. For rookie quarterbacks, so yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Lawrence can do really well. Yeah, I think I I definitely I saw enough of him in college to know that he has he has the ability. Uh, and so what he needs to do is he needs to have a better team. He needs to be coached. He's his fundamentals went to pieces last year, but that's not I've seen that happen before. But he can certainly be rebuilt, and he's got a coach there who can rebuild quarterbacks, has rebuilt quarterbacks. Uh, and you've got, a, you've got a team that's got 11 draft picks this year, and they got like $50 million in cap room. Yeah. So, I mean, they have the wherewithal to get well in a hurry. And, you know, their division is not the toughest. And, you know, I think that the fact that it's, it's a, it's a lower-intensity media market will probably help Doug. You know, I think he'll be pretty comfortable there. Uh, he's not, there's not going to be quite as many people looking over his shoulder. Um, but a lot of it depends on what's happening above him. You know, the owner to me is is a you know the owner to me is a guy that kind of just sort of messes up everything he touches. Yeah. Uh, and Balky has a bad track record, you know. And if you have a bad owner and a bad general manager, that can undermine a good even a good coach. So we'll see how you know. I think the I, I do think that the possibility is there with the quarterback, with the cap space, with the draft picks to rebuild this team. But he's going to need he's going to need the owner and the general manager to get their act together too. Yeah, well, that's the tough part, and it's the part that's really out of his hands, and um, that is a bad track record. They have the first pick of the draft. Who should they take? Take the big tackle? I know tackles aren't a sexy pick, but if you got that young quarterback and you have somebody to protect him for the next six, eight years. Yeah, yeah. Um, that might that might not be a bad way to go. That might that might not be a bad way to go. Is take Evan Neal, the uh, the the big tackle from Alabama. There, I mean, there are a couple of, and we can talk a little bit more, and we probably should talk a little bit because Senior Bowl is is going on. Oh, we, Senior, I, we, Ray, that's the that's the whole second segment of the show. And Senior Bowl will be played today, so we yeah. can talk a, lo- a little bit about that. But uh, you know, the the 
there's um, there's a couple of really good offensive tackles here, and Evan Neal from Alabama is probably the best of them. He's certainly the biggest, six seven and three hundred and fifty pounds. So if the idea is you want to try and protect Trevor Lawrence and give him a chance to do the things that he can do, Evan Neal isn't a isn't a bad isn't a bad building block to start with. I saw a picture of him standing next to other offensive linemen, and it reminded me. Hopefully, he's a better player. I assume he is, but it reminded me. Remember, you see King Dunlap at mm-hmm. Eagles training camp, mm-hmm. and he couldn't play, but God, he was huge. And he wound up playing like seven or eight years. In the yeah, he did. He, he, had a, he got a career out of it. I'm really rooting for Doug. Um, listen, we, you know, he, he brought us the only Super Bowl we have. And, and don't fool yourself. Doug coached a tremendous game that day on the biggest stage of the world, uh, beating the most famous coach in history, uh, having his journeyman quarterback outduel the greatest quarterback in history, Doug was was daring that day, bold. He he went for it on fourth down and made it. He okayed the Philly special. I mean, Doug, I will always the the statue they have to Doug down there at the stadium, Doug and Foles. It's okay, it's all right. But I we should always have a statue to Doug, and he should never have to buy a meal when he comes to this town, including the Jags come in this next year. Mm-hmm. So that'll be cool. Yeah, well. He'll get a big hand. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yeah, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he will, and he should. He should. I mean, this, you know, this city, this franchise, won one Super Bowl in its in its lifetime, in in more than half a century, they've won it once. And he was the coach, and he, and what he did with that team that season, and what he did with that team that day, beating the team that they beat, beating the coach that he beat, on beating Tom Brady on one of Brady's best days. Um, was remarkable and will always stand as a remarkable achievement. And I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. I found him to be, you know, I found him to be a nice fella. I enjoyed working with him. Uh, I think he was a gentleman. And uh, I think on the whole, you look at his record here, I think he did a really good job. I mean, they went to the playoffs pretty much every year, and they brought Here's home the Lombardi and Trophy. And, yeah. you know, in 18, 18, they bring home the Lombardi Trophy, and we all will talk forever about the parade. So, yeah, hats off to Doug Peterson, and I wish him well in Jacksonville. You know who else comes in this next year? Who is that? Carson Wentz. Oh, that's right. Might Maybe not won't might get not quite as yeah big. might not get quite the same reception. <laughs> that will always. I don't want to sidetrack into that one, but that will always be the most curious thing that ever happened to me because it was like all great until it got horrible, and like I, I mean, I know why it went horrible. It went horrible because he didn't have the psyche to handle certain things. Boy, there's a familiar story, but that that's one that should have been great. That's one I just want to like a do over and when's his career to work here and so on, but whatever. Absolutely. Can't, I mean, yeah, yeah, do you look it it's it's funny the lens at which you look at Carson Wentz now today from where we're all sitting looking back. Um and it's almost wholly negative. I mean, you talk to anybody on the street and, and ah, he was terrible. He was never that you know, you think about what 2017 was like and the way that team was playing on their way to 11 and 2. And the way he was, he, he was, without question, he was the best player in the National Football League. Yeah. And, and for, for, for the city and for the fans, and heck, for me, just watching it, just watching this guy play. My, my whole feeling was, you know what? They got the guy. They got the guy. I mean, this is it. I mean, this guy, he's going to be your quarterback for the next 10, 15 years. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was really, in the, in, at its height, it was almost Lindros-like. It really was. Oh, yeah. it, was, it, was oh, this, it was this sense that, you know, wow. Our team finally got the guy. That was the feeling, and boy, did it go wrong. Oh gosh, yes, and and not because not because of us, 
No. I mean, sometimes he's like, oh, you know, the fans. The fans loved him. And, and all right, so that there's that's, the story is a little bit familiar. And um, the most tired sports story in town hopefully will come to an end one way or another later this week because we are – Oh, five days away from the NBA trade deadline, Ray. I know you'll be setting up that day with your hoagie, tune into WIP, just waiting to see what happens, right? Uh, no. Okay. Well, stories know, Shoot me up a flare when they finally do it, okay? <laughs> then I'll pay attention. Okay. Stories come out yesterday. Uh, Shams Sharinya in The Athletic, who's a pretty reputable guy, Sources say the 76ers are expected to pursue James Harden ahead of the trade deadline Thursday. This was a deal that a lot of people thought could go down after the season with a sign and trade. The The Nets have now lost seven in a row. And um, the, as the story goes, they're looking more to make a deal now. And it would focus on Harden for Ben Simmons. And then, of course, the next sentence is always, who else do the Sixers have to throw in? So let me start, Ray. Mm-hmm. Would you be uh, willing to throw in uh, Maurice Thibel? Yeah, probably. All right. Would you be okay throwing in Seth Curry? Yeah. All right. Uh, Mr. Uh, General Manager, uh, we would like you to add Tyrese Maxey to the deal as a sweetener. Mm, nah. Aha! Well, we're on the same. I, you know, you and I did not discuss this. We're on the same page there. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not. I'm. It. It may be, and this is a word that's used too often: recency bias. But watching Maxi over the course of the last month. Boy, oh, he's really. Oh, he's a good player. There, there's something there. Definitely. I don't know that he's ever going to be, an, you know, an all-star, a great player, so on. But I think he is a guy who can be a valuable part of your core of your starting lineup for years to come. He's athletic. He's he's a smart player. He's obviously a great teammate, a terrific guy to have around. I I don't want to give him up for for short term James Harden, and mm-hmm. I think Harden would be definitely short term. Yeah, probably so. The um, I had, I was here in the same chatter that you were that this was uh, that this thing was heating up and there was a chance it could happen. So I went out this morning and picked up the New York papers and the New York Daily News today uh, actually has a has a. They're reporting that this is a, this is a trade that is on the table, okay? Then this and this is what mm-hmm. they're talking about. And I'll who read this that? to you. Okay? You know who wrote it? Hmm. Who wrote that story? Yes, Christian Winfield. Okay. He's the uh, he's the beat guy who covers okay. the Nets. Um, the deal is that the Sixers trade. Okay, here's what you're getting. Okay, you're, the Sixers would receive James Harden, mm-hmm. Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, and Javon Carter. Okay, that's what you that's what you would be getting back. Uh, okay. Okay. What you are give what you're get, you're getting James Harden and, you know, three three guys named Joe. Is basically right. what you're getting. I think I think you literally they are all named yeah. Joe. Uh right. and but what you're giving up is Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Danny Green. Oh. Well, I may do that then. I would I would I would absolutely do I, that. I I Tobias Harris has been a huge disappointment. Yeah. So I'm and his okay contract. So is, I get Joe Harris for Tobias Harris. So I just I don't even have to switch the jerseys. I just give him give him that jersey. Mm-hmm. And Joe Harris is, is okay. Who are the other guys? Um, the other guy, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, and Javon Carter. Well, those guys are just guys. Um, oh gosh, I would do that in a second. Yeah. 
I'm in. That Wait, was that's the, on the table. Let's uh, let's dine. That's the that's the deal that he's, as he proposes it. That's what he said is the, is the most is the one that's being discussed right now. And when I looked at that, I said, Gee, if I'm the Sixers, done. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just sign the papers and 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 you know give the guys their both tickets. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I will say this, and this is not. This is not from a competitive point of view because competitively, clearly, it makes you better. And if Harden is into it, I think Harden and Embiid uh, would be really good together. And and you know, Maxi's my number three guy now. That that all works for me. I want to say this right. James Harden plays a very boring brand of basketball, very effective but boring. Basically, go foul and get to the line. Right. And I just. I, I would do it because I want to win, but it would make the Sixers less fun to watch. It would make the games less exciting, hmm. which is not a reason not to do it. So you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, okay. I think you know, to me, Harden's just a pure scorer, is what he is, and I think he's, I think he's almost a perfect complement to Embiid in terms of you know his his offensive range and his offensive skills. The problem with him is right now he's older. Uh, he's had a lot of injuries. Um, yeah, he was out yesterday. Although I don't know if he's out yesterday because he's you know a trade is on the table. Yeah, he's had. Um, they've been saying he has a hamstring issue, and before that, they said that he has a, a sprained shooting hand. Which, oh, um, if you looked problem. at if you looked at his numbers in the last two games he played, he was eight for thirty. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there was something wrong with his shooting hand. But um, but he's a, but he's a score. That, but he's he he plays no defense. Okay, so. Um, that you'd have to you'd have to deal with that, but on the other on the other end of the floor, I mean he's uh, he's just a, he's just a score machine, and yeah. you know that. And the, I think that I think that he and Embiid would work well together. Well, again, we've been discussing these trades since forever, but uh, it, the deadline being five days away, maybe just maybe something will happen. So you would uh, you would like to see Daryl Morey make a move, Ray? I know you've been kind of frustrated by his his stall on this thing well i mean he's been stalling for a purpose i mean it's it's been not to prove a point and he's not trying to you know freeze ben simmons out of spite it's been i'm going to i'm not trading him until i get what i consider to be comparable value and if all of a sudden james harden becomes part of the conversation now i think yeah okay you're talking about comparable value you got it you know i'll take harden over ben simmons any day yeah uh, Anthony and Alney wants to talk about this trade. By the way, 215-592-9494. Best caller of the day wins a $50 gift card to Shibe Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Visit them, uh, their Center City location or shibesports.com. 215-592-9494. Hey, Anthony. Hey, how's it going? All right. Good. So I'm uh, I'm in the car driving, uh, doing DoorDash right now, and I, I heard this rumor about this Brooklyn trade, and – this is the first time I'm hearing about this particular uh, proposal. Mm-hmm. I actually love it. Um, I've been one of those that have been on the side of let's hold out for the best possible trade. We don't want to make a trade now that we're going to regret a few weeks or a few months from now or, you know, try to sell out and hopefully win a championship because Joel's having such an amazing year and all of that. But with all that being said, I think this trade addresses a lot of the concerns. We're uh, obviously getting cinnamon cinnamons out of out of out of town, which is what we all want. But also, we're getting Harden back, which you know we all know the type of player he is. As you know, as small as his window of 
productivity might still be at this point, he is still one of the most prolific scorers this game has ever seen. And he he still has at least a few more years left. And then uh, we're getting rid of that terrible contract on Tobias Harris. And Danny Green is, you know, at this point, just taking up a spot on the roster, in my opinion. And so I I think all across the board, I love love it. If we can make that happen, I think we should do it yesterday. All right. Well, that makes three votes. So we're in with you, and we appreciate you. By the way, who orders DoorDash at 10 in the morning? What do they order? Uh, You know what? It's the breakfast rush. Um, I've been going about three hours so far. Is that right? It's been busy. Okay. Uh, Hey, have a great one. Thank you. Thanks for taking the call. (laughs) You ever do DoorDash, Ray? Uh, no. Okay. I have, but never, I mean, to me, breakfast is like whatever's in the fridge is left over. I'm taking that. Mm. Uh, by the way, I misspoke a little earlier. I'm looking at the Eagles schedule here and, uh, Carson Wentz is on the road, assuming that Carson Wentz is still in Indy, which is no sure bet. Carson Wentz is on the road. The Eagles home schedule, uh, in 2022, not counting division games would be the Packers. Don't know who their quarterback's going to be. The Vikings, don't know who their coach is going to be. The Jags, the Tennessee Titans, the Steelers, and the Saints. Okay. We don't a have lot a... of unknowns in all those teams. Yeah. Who's the Steelers quarterback? Who's the Saints coach? A lot of, lot of change. A lot of questions on all of those teams. Yeah, and actually you and I are going to talk about some NFL change coming up and some interesting developments in the league, some involving the Eagles, some not. 215-592-9494. Don't forget, as we said, at noon, the best of Tell Us Your Story, version one. We do think you're going to like it. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now, Saturday morning on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Right in your Glenn Mack now. You watch the uh, opening of the Olympics at all? Any of the early events, Ray? 
Uh, I saw the highlights of the opening ceremonies. I didn't see the whole opening ceremony. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I know your son is there shooting it. He shot the opening ceremonies. How's he doing there? Uh, (laughs) Because it's a lot of restrictions, I know. I know. Uh, A month ago, he was very excited about it. Um, Then I talked to him the day before he was ready to leave, and he was less excited about it. Uh, But then he called me, since he's been over there, he's called me twice. And now that he's there, and now that he's settled in, uh, and things are starting to happen. Um, he's he's into it now, uh, and he found out that his main sport is going to be figure skating. He's going to be uh, oh, that's fun to shoot. I'm yeah, sure. he's uh, well, he's you know he's become a very good cameraman. I mean, uh-huh. he's really really good, and and people know it now. And NBC has used him on a lot of different events. Uh, and so when they brought him as part of their camera crew to uh, Beijing, uh, they put their best people on their best events, their highest rated events, and they put him on figure skating. So I you know he he knows what that means. But they also, um, but there were a couple of other cameramen who who bailed out right before they left, just because they got concerned, they got a little scared about the situation, mm-hmm. and so they were they came up a couple cameramen short. So the overall producer came to David and said, uh, "How would you like to shoot opening ceremonies?" So he signed up for that right nice. away. So he's he's you know, like I said, he was a little bit nervous before the flight, but now that he's there and now that he's settled in and the events have begun, he's he's into it, and I knew he would be. Yeah, I'm, I, maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. We don't have time today, but I'm I'm kind of sour on it. But we'll we'll get to that tomorrow. Um, let's talk to David in Langhorn on with Ray and Glenn. Good morning, David. Good morning. Uh, this is the second time I've ever called WIP, even though I've been listening for decades. All right. Uh, I have a question about quarterbacks. I mean, we constantly hear about uh, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. And that may be the case. Certainly no one has won as many Super Bowls as Tom. But there are two other quarterbacks who've won NFL championships. And, of course, it's not as if the NFL began when the Super Bowl was invented. It began in 1920. So my question is, does Bart Starr get a fair shake? Does Otto Graham get a fair shake in this discussion about great quarterbacks? Well... You've you've kind of laid this out over time, saying that it is impossible to compare these guys. Sure. No, I think it is. I think it is. I, I don't think you can compare the quarterbacks of that era that you're talking about. Um, well, Graham for sure, uh, from the '50s, and even and even Bart Starr, '60s into the '70s, uh, to the quarterbacks of today, because they're playing such a different game. The game has changed so much. Um, and now it's, now it's almost entirely a passing game. And, um, and so the, if you just try to go by statistics, which is what too many people do, and just go by, okay, who threw for the most yards? Well, of course today's players, today's quarterbacks, are going to dwarf the achievements of the guys of the 50s and 60s just because they're simply more passing. Right. Um, so I, I've always said that I kind of, I kind of in, the, in the whole conversation about the greatest quarterbacks, I kind of uh, divide them. And I kind of just say, I, I refer to the quarterbacks of what you would call the modern era, which is from the late 70s, kind of with the, with the change of the rules and the advent of the West Coast offense. I, can, I sort of say that's the modern era. And then I address everything that came before that as, um, as the other era, you know. Uh, and I think that's the only way to compare them. I think, I think you can compare guys from the 50s and 60s, but I don't think you can compare them to the guys of today. And yeah. if you just look at if you just look at a, a career in Toto, if you just look at, at everything that a guy accomplished, 
with all due respect to all of those guys, and you know, if if I had to talked about what I think is the greatest quarterback of the pre seventies, it would certainly be John Unitas. I think he was. I think in many ways he was the forerunner of the modern quarterback. Um, but if you just look at the at the overall career achievements, there's no one that had that. Then there's no one that even approaches Tom Brady right now. They're just not. Um, I wonder if this is today. I think it's a one third kickoff, so we'll be off the air. I know we'll finish the walk home, sit there with the passcode code pen, magazine articles, the whole thing, the whole spread. I'm sorry you were breaking up on me. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the Senior Bowl is this afternoon at yes. 1.30. I think that's the kickoff. And I'm I'm gathering that you will be uh, deep in the couch with all of your legal pads, color-coded pens, the whole thing. In the news. Mm, yes, I intend to be. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I love you for it. The big story out of this thing, at least so far, before they played it, is this kid Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty. The world is falling in love with him I guess because a lot of people didn't watch Liberty University, he's got this skill set that is that is really impressive. Um, becomes the hot guy. Um, what's your sense? Uh, somebody can take a first round flyer on this kid, and is he the kind who it's just going to move up, up, up until he's in the top twelve or something? Um, yes, that's what I I believe that he will certainly be a first round pick, and will probably be top fifteen almost certainly, and maybe top 10. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible. Um, and he has. He's been, uh, he's been the talk of Mobile. I mean, all, everybody that's down there at the Senior Bowl is talking about Malik Willis, and I, and I knew they would. I, I, you, know, he's, you know, not that many people have seen him at Liberty, so he's a little bit of an unknown. Um, certainly has a powerful arm, has mobility, has skills for sure. Um, but he's, I mean, to me, he, he is your absolute classic boomer bust guy. <laughs> he, he really is. Uh, and somebody's going to take him high, and they're going to gamble on their ability to get that talent out of him on a consistent basis and teach him the NFL game, which is a whole different level than where he's played before. Um, and somebody's going to take that, somebody's going to take that shot. And it may turn out to be, he may turn out to be great, you know, and then he may turn out to be Achilles Smith. You know, you, you just you just don't know. But that's you know, that's the that's the never ending fascination of these types of things. The NFL draft, the combine, the, the senior bowl, you know, that whole that whole I, I don't want to call it psychosis, but that whole me, that whole mentality. <laughs> let's let's get a kinder word. That whole mentality of, of trying to bring these college guys in, create an NFL environment and then work these guys out and then try to project how they're going to perform in the National Football League. It is, it is so hard to do, um, but it's endlessly fascinating to watch. So his talent is his, his speed, his arm strength. Um, the downside is he's, he's really played against lesser competition, right? Yes. Uh, and when he – Sounds he did, Wincian except for the speed. And he didn't uh, – yeah, somewhat. Um, he's not – his, his passing accuracy is a problem too. Um, he's um, and he's not that. And his size is his size, his size is an issue. I mean, he's just barely over six feet tall. Um, he's got kind of a stocky frame. He kind of looks. He kind of looks a little bit like Mike Vick. Is kind of what he looks like, uh, and has doesn't have quite the same explosive arm. He's got a good arm, um, 
but he's not nearly as fast or as explosive as a runner as Mike Vick was uh, and has some of the same accuracy issues. And, you know, the schedule they played at Liberty, he started off at Auburn and then transferred and went to Liberty. Uh, and the schedule they played down there wasn't very good. And, frankly, his team wasn't very good. And the couple of occasions they had to play real teams, to play big teams, and the big one was this year they played Old Miss. Um, and now, like, every scout in the NFL came to that game just to try to evaluate Malik Willis, to see him in a, against really Division I-level competition. And he got, he got destroyed. Um, he, they sacked him nine times. He threw three interceptions. Uh, and Liberty got blown out. And now you were left to just try to judge, okay, is that just a case of where his team was so overmatched that he didn't have a chance? Or is this a more accurate reflection of what he's going to do when he's playing against better competition? You know, that's why I say boom or bust. You know, the ability is there, but he's got a long, long way to go before, in, at least in my view, that he's going to be able to step on the field and win in the NFL. All right, last question, then I want to go to the phones. If he is there with the third of the Eagles' three first-round picks, would rated your general manager take the flyer? No. Okay. No. No, even, even if you're talking about the last of your third round, uh, last of your first round picks, which would be, as it's currently set up, 19, uh, would I take him with the 19th pick? I would not. No. Steve in Charlotte. What's on your mind today, Steve? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I'm uh, driving uh, to see my son play college ball today, and uh, thought it would be a great time to try to reach out to you. But Nice. Where does he play? Deal, Who's he play for? He plays for uh, Shawan University, which is in Murfreesboro, North Carolina. Oh, and the irony is, well, yeah, about three hours. And Shawan is where Nate McMillan played before he transferred to NC State. Wow. So well, good for you. You've got to be very probably, proud of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably their biggest basketball player. Uh, and then the George Koontz from the um, Packers played at uh, Shawan. So, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm – you know, happy and be be out in a couple hours. But anyway, if they get this Simmons deal done that you guys announced, I would do it yesterday. But I I get a little worried that you bring in a Harden who already doesn't play defense. We'd almost have to outscore people because Doc shows a propensity to blow big leads. So I, you know, I, I like it on paper, but I'm I'm also a little worried, and you know, just like to get your take on that. Well, you're right about that. Um, you know, we, we saw it last year in the postseason. You've seen it in Doc's career, going back with other teams. Uh, and this year, too. I mean, blowing big leads. Um, but would they probably have to outscore teams? Yeah, they probably would. They probably, if you have Harden on the floor for 35 minutes a game, you're probably not going to win with a lot of defense. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to outscore teams. But with Harden and Embiid on the floor and Maxey, you have, you have an opportunity to do that. I mean, Harden is a yeah. – right now you're getting you're, – I mean, obviously you get nothing with Simmons. So, I mean, if you can turn, if you can turn Simmons into James Harden in, in time and, and you look at the way things are in the East and how no team has sort of broken out to, to take the lead and, and run away with this thing, to me the East is – I kept waiting for somebody to assert themselves and nobody has. So, to me, it looks like the East is going to be wide open right into the postseason. If it's there to take, why not take it? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope we could do that. And to your point, I was kind of just a little disappointed that we couldn't gain uh, more traction, you know, with the Nets kind of falling apart and Miami being, you know, okay, but certainly beatable. But So hopefully we don't we don't blow the opportunity maybe to get a, uh, at least to the two, at least to the two. 
Yeah, I, so, I, I would love that. I, 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 I think this is as good a deal as they could get. I have no problem with anything they were giving up on it. Hey, Steve, good luck to your son today. What position is he? Well, he's kind of a junkyard dog. He's a swing, he's a defender, go in, make your free throws, take the shot of his open. So he's really more a disruptor. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, I love players like that. Enjoy. All right, thank you so much. Uh, All right, good luck to you, Steve. Thank you, thank you for checking in. Thank you. Bye. Um, yeah. Ray, I'm sorry. I'm having all kinds of challenges here. Um, I don't know if this deal is going to happen. You and I both know that rumors that come out toward the trade deadline often have uh, something behind them. I got a note, and I was just looking it up here, that says that uh, Shams Jarania, who's the guy for The Athletic who broke this story, mm-hmm. is represented by United Talent Agency, which partnered with Clutch, which is um, Ben Simmons' agency, two years ago and formed a sports division. So, you know, everybody's related. Everybody's got an angle. So it, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But as you know, stories often have uh, motivation behind them. Yes. So, hey, we'll know, in, uh, we'll know in five days. Yeah, well, I mean, the the guy from the New York Daily News probably has his own sources. Uh, and I'll trust his judgment because he's pretty close to it, at least from, from the Jersey side or the Brooklyn side. So um, if the trade that if the trade that's actually on the table is the one that he reports to me, that looks like one the Sixers have to take. I would agree with you. Two one five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack. Now coming up noon. Best of. Tell us your story. Championship edition. Trust me, you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. We are uh, going to take a short break. Be right back here on ninety four WIP. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Ray, there's a couple of things I want to get to in the Ben Simmons saga. By the way, the Sixers lose last night, 107-98 to uh, down in Dallas. I watched, like, a good part of the first half, and they looked pretty good. And then I, I turned it off, and uh, all of a sudden, like, they got horrible. And they got uh, – it seems that when opposing teams go into a zone defense – Doc Rivers and his team cannot figure it out. Mm-hmm. In that sense, yes, we've seen that. We've seen that more than once. You know yeah. that that seems to that seems to slow them down. It just seems to change the pace of the game and it slows them down. And they aren't near they aren't nearly as effective that way. And it allows teams to you know run two and three guys at Embiid, which sort of clogs up the offense. And yeah, they just have trouble dealing with it. And you know this has happened often enough over time here that the the book is out on them, and they're going to see that. You know, when you get to the postseason, regular season kind of is the regular season. You know, it, it, you can't gauge a whole lot from that. 
But when you get to the postseason and every game really matters and every possession really matters, they're going to see that on a steady basis, and they're going to have to figure it out or they're yeah. not going to win. Yeah. So on the Ben Simmons saga, there were, there were a couple of things this week. When I say developments, I don't, I don't mean actual real trade developments, but stuff that tends to lessen Ben Simmons' stature, if not his trade value by the moment. Um, so you know that Shaquille O'Neal uh, and Charles Barkley have been consistently – critical of Ben Simmons' mental weakness uh, on TNT, correct? Oh, yes. Okay. And so Shaq went at him about a week or two ago, and so apparently uh, DM, direct message, is how somebody on social media, Ray, can reach somebody else on social media. If I don't have your phone number but I, uh, I can find you on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I can DM you, I can message you. So uh, Shaq is here on TV the other day talking about how Ben Simmons reached out to him after Shaq had criticized Simmons. You're making $40 million, and the only reason why you're not playing is because your coach called you out. You're making us look bad. And I've been in this moment many times. They asked, they said, hey, you think you can win with Shaq in the fourth quarter? And all my coaches said, he, he got to step up and knock him down. They all said that. I didn't go, man, I got, I already, I got 38. I missed 12 free throws. Yo, yo, trade me. Get rid of me. He acting like a baby. So he kind of got in my DM and said some things, and I said What'd some things say? back. What do you say? Tell um, me. I don't. I, I can't do that. He said some things. No, I, I can't do that. So wait, Ben Simmons DM'd you after he heard yes. what you said last week. Yeah. All I said is, you leaving your man out there. You need to play. Ray, your thoughts. <laughs> You're asking a guy who doesn't do so. I have no idea what they're even talking about. Well, it's it's basically he, it, it's the equivalent of of Simmons heard Shaq criticize him and sent him an email. A DM is just another way to reach somebody, and and that Simmons, because of his thin skin, is complaining that Shaq is calling him out for for complaining essentially. Right. Shaq is calling him thin skin, so Simmons is coming back at Shaq and saying, "How can you say that about me?" And part of it that in plays, he said, "We both went to LSU." You got to be supportive. <laughs> yeah, right. Ben Simmons, Simmons went, down, went. Ben Simmons went to hell. He walked across the campus. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, you know he is such a fraud. He, I mean yes. he, he is this, such a, he okay, is such good. a fraud on every level. He really is. If you want to answer, if you want to answer the critics, if you want to answer Shaq, lace up your sneakers and go out and play. Okay. Don't don't go to social media and try and and try and answer it because the only way you can answer it in a meaningful way is to go to do it on the court. And you you aren't willing to do that. So shut up. Go away. See, I was trying to light the candle, and I got it lit. Uh, and then, in other news, um, Adrian Wojnarowski, Wojbomb, uh, was talking the other day uh, about the possibility, if they don't trade Simmons, maybe he could actually come back and finish the season here. And Woj speculates what the fan reaction would be if Simmons comes back and plays here. Given the way this team's playing and yeah. how badly they wanted to win in Philly, yeah. If Ben Simmons shows up, I think that city, all he needs is for Joel, Doc Rivers, yep. Tobias Harris to say, come on, guys, we need you to support him. We yeah. can win it. We can do this. He's coming back to play. I bet you the opening night there he'd get a standing ovation. Ray? No, he's wrong. Yeah. I mean, do, do, do I need to elaborate? I mean, do you, do, in, in what universe is that guy going to walk on a court in Philadelphia and get a standing ovation? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
No, no way, no way. I mean, it's. I mean, they would. They would have to. They would have to be. They would have to be beyond crazy to bring him back and try and resurrect him in Philadelphia. I mean, it would be. It would be. A, it would be. It would be a disaster. You know. No, and the idea that that Doc and Embiid, after they've already in a pretty public way told you what they really think about this guy, are now suddenly going to go out and make an appeal. You know, they're going to suddenly become his welcome wagon, leading him around him. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, and the fans here are 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 they really think the fans here are that stupid? That huh? Yeah. Hey, look, Doc and 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 Joel, they're 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 behind this guy. They they're 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 standing with this guy. They want us to stand with him. Come on, gang, let's go. Let's all give him a big standing ovation. Really, what world are you all living in? That's. <laughs> I am, I am so, so, so weary of the Ben Simmons story. I, I, you know, I don't think there's any way it's revisiting Philadelphia unless he's in another jersey. And if he never plays another game, that's fine, too. It's all, it's all up to him. I mean, he's the one that's taken his career and thrown it out the window. I haven't. You haven't. The fans haven't. His coaches, his teammates haven't. He did it. He did it. And now he's got to live with it. But it's not Philadelphia's problem anymore. It's his. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Ray. Oh, anytime. Our pal Jack in Santa Barbara joins us. What's up, dude? How are you? Uh, ben Simmons coming back to Philly. I can see a bunch of stale, soft pretzels winding up on that court. Yeah. Yeah, that would it would be really ugly. And you know what it shows? Um, and I'm not really taking a shot at Woj. He's one of the best at what he does. But it shows how if you don't live in a particular fan base, you really don't, you don't know, know that it. fan base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you that may know. happen in Indiana or San right. Antonio. I don't know. Utah. I don't know. But that would definitely not happen here. <laughs> that, is, that is unconscionable. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Do you remember? Um, do you remember when Doc, when Julius Irving played his first game as a Sixer? Well, before you got here, Glenn. But yeah, before I got here. Uh, when they introduced Doc for his first game in Philadelphia, they introduce him, and um, Dave Zinkoff does the you know Julius Irving, and Doc comes out in the spotlight onto the court for the introduction, and one of the fans at courtside ran out on the court and handed him like a doctor's kit. It was oh, like it was sweet. like one of these. It was like one of these great moments. He handed him a doctor's kit, and it was just the, the crowd just went crazy. If they did, if they tried to pull this stunt with Ben Simmons, I, some fan would run out and hand him a Mister Softy. I mean, that's what that that's how he would be welcomed back. Okay, and, Ray, and that's what he would deserve. You're just the guy to do it. That's perfect, right? <laughs> they should drive the truck right on the court. That would be good. Yeah. Play the music. Yes. What's up, Jack? Uh, I'm not trading Thibel or Maxi. If you look at Thibel, he is is being as defensively effective when he's in the game as Ben was, in my in my opinion. That that that's how stealth and good that kid is. And He's got no issues. I mean, you can build around him as the second unit. And the other thing I want to say about Joe Harris is he's a more dependable Korkmaz. So can you throw Korkmaz into the deal? Because Joe Harris can, can shoot and play more defense than, 
than Cork Moss. I think this so, deal, man, I think 98% of Philadelphians would go for this deal. No doubt about if it's re- it. If it's real, I think you would. Yeah, I don't you, know. You pose the right backdrop to it. It might just be a tease because it sounds a little too much in our favor. It kind of does, too. Yeah, I'm, it makes me a little suspicious. But as, as it's presented to us, to me, it, it looks like an absolute slam dunk win for the Sixers. Yeah, like, like let's do it tomorrow, right? Yeah, and, well, and that, it, if, if it probably would be tomorrow. Jack, I got to run, but always a pleasure. And, and I'm not casting aspersions on this particular reporter, but as you and I know, uh, leading up to trade deadlines, there are always a ton of rumors Sure. And the sources of them, right? So he got this from somebody, mm-hmm. and he either got it from somebody's agent or uh, somebody in management, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe another player, but most likely the first two. And agents and team officials don't release stuff unless there's something in it to benefit them. Correct. Even if it's true. So maybe. But, yeah, I think we – that – I'm not going to put that on social media. If we did a social media poll on that, it would be 92% yes. Oh, yeah, I, no, no doubt. I mean, to me, and to me, it actually looks it looks really lopsided in favor of the Sixers, which makes yeah. me scratch my head and say, I, I, I can't believe this is what they're really talking about, but maybe they are. Teams have made bad trades before. They have. Let's, uh, let's sneak into Andrew King of Prussia before the break. Hello, Andrew. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. I was at the... Uh... Your function at Bridgeport the other week. It was, it was really nice. To do oh, that I, I appreciate that immensely. Uh, Ray and I had a great time, and actually we have another one coming up. I'm just going to say real quick. I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Tuesday, February 15th, Mark Zumoff is going to be there. We just did a, a charity beer with Zoo uh, called Zooisms, and it's going to be to benefit Philadelphia youth basketball. So, Andrew, if you got another free night, we'd love to see you out there. You get to hoist a beer with Zumoff. Oh yeah, I saw that on your Twitter feed uh, yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have uh, I got two sons that go to Liberty. So I've, I've watched oh. my share of, of Liberty football over the past couple of years, and you know I, I would concur with everything um, Ray had said earlier. And he, he actually had Malik actually had a better season two years ago. So I'm thinking that you know coaches figured him out uh, after his junior year. Right. I think there was some of that. I think there was some of that. I agree. Yeah, um, and, and even when you look at the games where they played, you know, uh, teams in, in their you know, their range, um, he won with his legs. Like he, he he's not terribly accurate, and um, yeah, I, he's I cannot see him being a first round pick. Like the team who takes him is going to probably regret that. I mean, he's like a poor man, Jalen Hurts. He, he can run like like anything. He does not secure the ball when he, when he runs. You watch that; he can't. Holds it out there like a loaf of bread, and he can't—he can't hit guys thirty yards downfield. Yeah, he—he's—he's uh, he's got so much—he's got so much to learn, and he's got so much to develop. I—I I, I agree Thanks, with you, Andrew. He—he's—he um, has a very uh, intriguing uh, skill set. I mean, if if you look at him working out, you say, "Wow, he—he he, he does have a strong arm, and he can run," uh, but he's—he's he's so unrefined. And he didn't get coached a whole lot at Liberty. I mean, he was just the best player on that team and the best player in that conference. So they just kind of just let him go play, which is fine for what it is. But, you know, you're, you know, you see when he got up against a really good defense with some speed and some good athletes, you know, he got exposed. Um, there's just a lot of stuff he has to learn. And, but I'm telling you, he's going to be – I said top 15, and I'm, I'll stay with that. But it wouldn't shock me if he was even higher than that. 
Uh, but he's he's absolutely going to be a first round guy, even though I don't. Right now, looking at this draft, and we're still a ways down the road, but I only have a first-round grade on one quarterback in this whole draft, and that's Kenny Pickett, the kid from Pitt. He's the only one that I have a grade on that translates to first round. I have, I have, I have Malik Willis as a second-round pick, but I, know, I, I write that knowing full well that he's going to go in the first round just because quarterbacks always do. Yeah, and, and the hype – the hype starts to build. The inevitable hype starts to build, and guys begin to move up. It's not just quarterbacks, but most especially quarterbacks. All right, Ray, coming up, well, uh, it's our Shibe Sports uh, This Week in Philadelphia Sports History. Let's see, Ray, if you can project what moment in this week's history we're going to look at next. Um, my guess would be that it might involve the new co- the newly minted coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, that is correct. You don't need to go back too far. Uh, 11.25 or so, uh, what we're watching. Ray, I watched a new cop series this past week. Not British. No? No, Scandinavian. Oh, they have cops I, there? Yes. They, well, they got crime there, that's for sure. Uh, and at noon, the best of Tell Us Your Story. Greg in the Northeast hanging. We'll get you in the next segment. Anybody else wants to join? 215-592-9494. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. All right, 215-592-9494. We're going to ask the callers to hang in for a couple of minutes. We will grab you pretty soon. But, Ray, it's time for This Week in Philadelphia Sports History. Brought to you by Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their center city location or shibesports.com. Ray, some weeks, you know, when I go through the calendar, it's it's a little challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, 1972, this guy scored 40 points, and yeah, that's okay. And it's like, well, this week I didn't even have to think about it because um, certainly the greatest moment of my experience as a Philadelphia sports fan, uh, coupled only with the Phillies winning the 2008 World Series, occurred four years ago yesterday, Ray. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like four years or more or less to you? It's funny. In some ways, it feels like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it feels like a long time ago. Very well said. <laughs> I agree. I really agree. There's parts of it that just stick with me, as, and I think, like, oh, God, that was, that was way back then. And then there's other times, like, part of it is I don't have a lot of – I don't see any of our teams getting back to that big stage anytime really soon. So I I'm, I want to cherish it. And part of cherishing it, I'm going to ask everybody to hang in. Uh, I heard this yesterday on the Midday Show, and I thought it was terrific. It's a three-minute Merrill montage where Merrill Reese and Mike Quick take you through Super Bowl 52. Ray, you ready for that? Absolutely, I'm ready for it. All right, Dan, let's hit it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Welcome to Super Bowl 52. Foles fakes. He's back. He steps up. He is going deep. And it is caught by Alshon Jeffrey for a touchdown. Oh, what a great catch by Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey, I'm magnificent. He comes right back to Blunt. Blunt across the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5. The train is in the end zone. Unbelievable blocking. Great play call. He knew he was going to be aggressive. He told us that he was going to stay aggressive. He loves this. Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it. And the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick Foles. It's a touchdown by Nick Foles. Reverso Key Foles receives a touchdown. Oh, get what a Trey Burton. This play.
play call has a chance to be remembered as one of the all-time greats. And that's something we've been working on, and Doug and I were talking. I was like, let's just run it. And Matt Patricia, defensive coordinator for New England, he's over there scratching his beard. He is going deep, and is it a touchdown? It is. It is a touchdown! A 22-yard touchdown to Clement. This is crazy. I've been dreaming about this moment. Now I can see what it feels like. Looks, fires out in the flat, running with the football, and coming up close to another first down. Is Aguilar, and he picks it up. Aguilar tonight has stepped up bigger than ever. Back goes Foles, fires, slant, touchdown! Zach Ertz, he caught it, he bobbled it, he never let it drop, and he finished with the football. If they would have overturned that, I don't know what would have happened to the city of Philadelphia. So glad they didn't overturn it. Boy, if the Eagles could come up with their one turnover of the game right here, that would be ceiling. Brady back again, he steps up, he's hit, and falls forward, he fumbled and he fumbles the football, and the Eagles have it, and is recovered by Barnett. Brandon Graham rips the football out of the hands of Tom Brady. With 209 remaining to be played. And boy, oh boy. Brandon Graham, Ricky, Brandon Graham. We said we needed a play. If we got one more opportunity, we're going to give everything we got. And I just so happened to get there. Here is a 46-yarder to give the Eagles an eight-point lead. And the kick is... Goal! The biggest kick in Jake Elliott's life right there. Nine seconds left. Eagles by eight. Brady, he steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone. And it is batted around. And incomplete. And the game is over. Super Bowl champions, Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. If there's a word called everything, that's what it means to Eagles fans everywhere. Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles. Nick Foles, the GOAT, a legend. That's his name in stone. It's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. That's been this team all year. And they're bringing back the Lombardi Trophy to Philadelphia. Broad Street, get ready. We are having a parade. Oh, Ray. Ray, I got to gotta go take a shower. <laughs> God. It was so great. Yeah, it never gets old, does it? Uh, sure it doesn't. And by the way, if you ever want to have fun, um, go on Google and type in Merrill Cam uh, for that <laughs> Super Bowl because the Eagles did a really smart thing a couple of years ago, which is they started filming. There's just a stationary camera that films Merrill and Mike as they call the games. Mm-hmm. And you see Merrill as he's doing it because we hear Merrill, but you never see him. And you see his excitement during this thing, and the people in the booth get excited. And actually, at the end, Merrill's son, who's a, who's a filmmaker, right. uh, Nolan, like runs in and hugs his dad after that last, but it's really cool. So if you ever want to just go to Merrill Cam. Um, you know what else strikes me, Ray, about that whole thing? Um, montage? None of those guys are still here. Yeah, Graham's here, Elliot's here, Kelsey's here. Right. I don't know if any of the other names that were said during the three minutes are still here. But whatever. It was great. I mean, uh, you know, holding together a, a sports team is like trying to walk around with a, with water in your hand. It's just like it, it's it's going to fall away. But, oh, my God, it was great. It was great. Any, just give me oh, – actually, here's what I want to do. Um, hold on one second. Greg and Jerry, I, I will get you guys in a, in a minute or two. Uh, one of the things that I th- – 
think everybody remembers is their day that day, what they did before the Super Bowl, how they watched the Super Bowl, what they did after the Super Bowl. I did Oh, I did a show on WIP, and then I did the pregame show in front of a crowd of like a couple hundred people who were just all crazy with anticipation, and then I drove home as fast as I could and watched the Super Bowl with my dad and my my brother-in-law and my nephew, who was 14, I think, at the time, and like a lot of different generations of people, and it was we just we were jumping up and down in my house, right? And I will just always remember the joy of that for you. Well, you had a pretty special day, so I I just want to start because a lot of people remember that you did a pregame show and they said, like, hey, let's do something fun. We'll get the guys from NBC Sports in Boston, and then we'll, like, have them debate Ray. And Ray, as I recall, it went south pretty fast. Yeah, it did. It was their idea. They they actually did two pregame shows. We did one that was our typical Eagles pregame live with, uh, with Michael, me, Barrett, and Seth. Uh, and then they said, well, we're going to also do a, a second hour, which is going to be um, Philly versus Boston. Uh, and it's going to be you guys and the Boston guys, because we have an NBC, we have a comparable kind of an NBC Sports Boston thing. And we'll bring, you, we'll bring the two shows together, and you guys can just fight it out, you know, just have a debate and all. And Boy, did they get the wrong guy for yeah, that. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I told, it was, uh, I told the, the, the news director, I said, no, f- Count me out. I'm not. I, I don't want to do that because I know what it's going to. I know what it's going to devolve into. I know what it's going to be. It's going to turn into a shout fest, and people are going to be hollering at each other, and you know, saying stupid things. And you know, no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And they basically said to me, "No, you, you are doing it. Right, we paid your way. Here. Yeah, you yeah, you, you are doing it." And so they said, "You're on for one segment. Just do the best you can." And so they put me on a segment with a, with a guy from, it was Michael and me, and then a guy from Boston, a talk show guy from Boston, and Albert Breer, who the, who's the uh, uh, NFL Network guy. Yeah. And it, it started out okay, and, you know, I kind of tried to do my usual X's and O's thing. And then, you know, then the Boston guy jumped <laughs> in. The Boston guy jumped in and started taking on ripping Philadelphia and ripping Philadelphia fans and how violent they are. And when I go to a sporting event in Philadelphia, I always think I'm going to get a metal chair in the back of my head. And. And I just, you know, I'd had enough. And I, I, you know, to me, it was just so irresponsible and so stupid that I, that I finally, I finally just, you know, answered him back and just told him he was wrong. And, um, and I felt, I felt kind of silly doing it because this, this was, this was exactly the kind of television that I wanted to avoid. And here I was doing it. Oh, you underplay what you did. Because here's why you didn't resort to silliness. You didn't get involved in a pillow fight. You basically took out a machete and speared him in the gut and left him behind to die in the street. That's what you did. <laughs> well, most and it be- was beautiful and it was brilliant. And I've heard it. I don't need to play it now, but I've heard it. And I've heard your retort to his nonsense, calling specific examples in the old Schaefer Stadium and so on. And you were you were magnificent. Yeah, but what I basically did was I said that that the New England fans to me were front runners. The Patriot fans were front runners. They had totally ignored the Patriots for years and years and years. They were so far behind the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Celtics up there that nobody cared about them until they started to win. And then until they started – then when they started to win, then all of a sudden everybody got happy. And, you know, and to me that's, that's not really being a fan. That's just uh, – you're a fan of convenience. You know, you, they started to win, and, okay, here I am. You know, well, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's certainly not the way it works in Philadelphia. So anyway, I, so I had my moment with him, and then 
And then we all have to go to the same trailer and watch the game. They had one, <laughs> NBC had one trailer outside the stadium with yeah. one TV, yeah. and all the Philly guys and all the Boston guys uh, were all in the same trailer. What, can, can you imagine? Oh, can, fun times. Can you imagine? And, Especially and, that game, because that game was so back and forth, and there were so many plays. As, as I recall, you told me like that when, when uh, Philly Special happened, they're like, nah, that's no good. They can't line up like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, right? for, well the, 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 the leading up to that, you know, when, when they call the timeout with, with just time for, for the one play, and they got the ball the one-yard line on the fourth down, um, this one Boston guy who, God, he was so obnoxious. He was so cocky. And, you know, they, they said, what are they calling, time, what are they calling timeout for? They're going to kick the field goal. And I said, uh, no, I don't think they're kicking a field goal. Have you seen the Eagles this year? This, trust me, they're not kicking a field goal here. No, they got to kick a field goal. Was this coach a moron? You know, you got to take the three points. So then Foles comes back on the field, and he says, oh, my God, they are going to run this play. How stupid, can this, how stupid is this guy going to be? And then, of course, they run Philly special, and it's a touchdown. And uh, – and the guy says to me, nah, and the first thing he says is, when it happens, he says, nah, 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 nah that can't be legal. That, that's, there's got to be, there's got to be something wrong with that. That the way they lined up that formation, now that's got to be, that's got to be illegal. And then when he sees it, when he sees it, it's not, and they're lining up to kick the extra point. He says, you know, what do they call that play anyway? And I said, well, in Philadelphia, we call it a touchdown. Oh, right, that's so brilliant. <laughs> oh God, you're great! You're great. By the way, um, that play, the the referee of the game, Gene Steratore, is part of our best of Tell Us Your Story. Yes, he is. That we're playing at noon, and and there is some description of that play. All right, so magnificent by you. And then I want to get to the post game because you did a post game. Mm-hmm. And understand, everybody in Philadelphia who watched that Eagles game and just was completely joyous afterward. It was it was for so many people the highlight of whether they're. Again, my nephew was 14, or whether you're 30 or 50 or 90, that was a highlight of your life as a fan. And I imagine the ratings for your postgame live that night were probably the highest they were ever. And you guys do the show, and it's fine. And then a special moment occurs. Yeah, yeah. Well, my son, the cameraman, who was David, who was there shooting the game. And, in fact, he's the guy that shot the the Philly special. He's the guy that – he was shooting the Nick Foles wire that day. Mm-hmm. And so he's the guy that actually filmed that exchange on the sidelines that allowed us to understand exactly how Philly special went down. My son got that shot, which I'm so proud of him for doing it. Um, but he had said to me before the game, he said, if, if the Eagles win this game, I'm going to find you wherever you're doing the postgame show. And I'm going to, you know, you and I are going to celebrate together. I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to give you a big hug. And I said, you know, no, don't bother. At the end of, the, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where we're going to be. I don't know where we're going to be set up. And nobody can find anybody after a Super Bowl. It's like New Year's Eve in Times Square. I said, so don't, don't even bother. You got your own thing to do. Just, we'll, we'll celebrate back at the hotel. Well, you know, we're about a half an hour into the postgame show on live TV, and as you said, to a, you know, just an astronomical TV audience back in Philadelphia. I mean, everybody has it on. Uh, and lo and behold, the, the door opens to the mezzanine booth that we're in, and who comes walking in but my son, who just comes walking right on, <laughs> comes walking right onto the set, and then, uh, okay, we have our hug right there on live television, and uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I've been holding in my emotions all that time, but uh, at that at that moment, it brought back so many memories, and it was uh, it was just a great feeling, and I just kind of I, I just kind of let it out, and I began, uh, you know, I broke down and started crying on the set, and it was. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I was kind of embarrassed at the time because, I, you know, it's, it's live TV, my God, and millions of people are probably watching, and, and here I am, you know, wiping away tears. But 
as it turned out, uh, when I came home, people loved it, you know, you and, and they loved it for, and they loved it for the reason that you said. They loved yeah. it for the reason that you said, which was everybody was doing exactly what we were doing at that, at that very same moment. So it was, you know, it, it was like what was happening there in that booth was happening in every living room across the Delaware Valley. So people fully understood it, and they loved it, and I still hear about it to this day. It was a, it was a great moment for everybody. Again, you were everybody, and, I mean, not to— say I told you so but I remember as we were talking about this coming up and I was saying like you know you're going to really it's going to be a big deal and you're like well yeah but I'm not a fan anymore I you know I and I knew I knew I knew but it was great and because it was for you it was a connection with your dad too sure yeah because I, I I it took me back and I thought about it all day was you know the last time the Eagles had won the world championship was 1960 and we were all at Franklin Field, and I was in the stands with my mother and my father and my grandparents, and we watched that together. And I kept thinking about that. And when they did win, and then there I was with my son at the game, um, it took me back and it made me think about my parents and my grandparents and that whole moment at Franklin Field. And it was just really overwhelming and just and wonderful at the same time. It really was great. Yeah, uh, it, it was great. And it was a great day for everybody, and it's – Nice that this week we get to review it for our Scheib Sports moment. Greg in the Northeast has been hanging. What's up, Greg? Hey, Glenn. Hey, Ray. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's my first time calling into the show. Oh, but well, I, welcome I, aboard. Been, nice to talk to you. Uh, I've been listening forever. I love you guys are my favorite Saturday morning go-to sports because, in my opinion, you are like two legends together. So that's pretty dope, in my opinion. Right? Thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. Okay. So now, hold on, though, Ray, because I got a little beef. Because in my opinion, Wayne Gretzky is by far the greatest sports player athlete in the world over Tom Brady. Well, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to argue. I'm certainly not going to argue against that. Make uh, the case. Hold I mean, on. Make, make the case. You, you said it, but well, back it up 60, first. Sixty-one records when he retired. He still owns sixty. He in twenty years. He had 120 points in 15 seasons, over 120 points in 15 seasons. I mean, his nickname, the great one, he got when he was 10. Huh? So, eight yeah. consecutive heart trophies. Right, come on. The guy in right, 10 scoring titles, I can get four 200-point seasons. There's so much to go yeah. on. Uh, now listen, and, and you're right about all those things. And, and, Ray, he stretched records beyond, right? you know, I mean, he would lead, lead the league in scoring almost double what the next guy had at a time when guys were scoring. Right. He was minus 98 at one, had a season. Minus 98 on the ice. That's unbelievable. Wait, what do you mean he was minus 98? They allowed 98 goals in the ice. That's, that's, that's not a good thing. It's a bad stat, actually. If he was yeah, plus, it's a terrible be great. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I, I would funny. drop that from your case. So, no, Ray, I just it, it is – it is yeah, okay, and I appreciate it. And Ray, I it see is, some of the Sixers too? Uh, yeah, hold on one second. It is okay. tough to compare athletes of other sports, other eras, but they're not exactly, you know, 100 years apart. Uh, in doing so, um, you know, it's – I don't know. I, I think I probably go Brady one, Gretzky two, Jordan three. If I'm, but, I'm just taking the four major sports in my lifetime, mm-hmm. I think that would probably be my ranking. I mean, yeah, I don't I don't want to get into Babe Ruth and I don't want to get into Pele or Muhammad Ali. But if you just take the four team sports that we're familiar with, 
and you take the greatest of all time, I would probably go um, Brady, Gretzky, Jordan. I don't know, Jim Brown. I don't know. I mean, who in ba- who's the best baseball player of the last fifty years? Bonds. Bonds, huh. probably. Yeah. 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 Not probably. Can't, I mean, can't he would even be. get in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. Right. Which yeah, I mean, problem. it's uh, it's 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 very hard to compare. I mean, it's hard to compare eras within the same sport, much less try to compare eras in different sports because they they are so different. But you know, I I, I listen. I, I you know, Greg Greg has a perfectly valid point. I mean, there's no question. Gretzky. Everybody said Gordy Howe was the greatest player, and then Gretzky completely eclipsed him in a different era. Uh, and you look at 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 the records that he set. Uh, and the and the numbers that he put up and the time that he put up, I mean, it was it was just it was just staggering how 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 he just dwarfed the other athletes in his sport, and you know if I don't see I don't know why it has to be a debate. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine just saying Wayne Gretzky was great and Tom Brady was great. They're both great, and if you're great, you're great. You know, I don't know I don't know why we all of a eh, sudden guess have, what sports fans. I mean, we rate everything, right? Yeah, but it kind of gets silly after a while. I mean, I rate hamburgers, right? You know, it's like just whatever it's what you do. But you, it, it is there. There's a, I, here's what I will agree with you. There's no wrong answer between those two. Right. 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 You know, if 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 I said uh, I'm I'm going to put uh, uh, Drew Brees on, uh, at the top of the list. Well, Drew Brees is a great player and a Hall of Famer, but he is not the greatest athlete of our time. I can't make a valid argument for that. But I could for either of those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Ray. Uh, Jerry Christian, hang in. Anybody else wants to join us? We'll get you. 215-592-9494. And, uh, Ray, coming up, television recommendation. Pretty good show I saw. I'm going to tease you with this. Mm-hmm. You ever, Ray, see a show or a movie that when you like, when you watched it, you really, really liked it, and then, like, you thought about it afterwards, and you thought, well, wait a second. <laughs> A little bit of a plot hole there. You ever have one of those? Oh, I have those all the time. Where right. You, you, so, you leave the movie theater, you're in your, and you think, oh, that was good. And then you get halfway home and you say, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've had that moment all the time. So I have one of those with a TV show. So when I recommend it, I'm going to recommend it with reservation and tell you that I really enjoyed it. And then the next day I'm thinking, well, what about that guy? All right, we'll talk about that coming up. 215-592-9494. Don't forget, at noon, you really want to stick around for this. Tell us your story. Best of the first of uh, three that we are put together uh, over the next couple of weeks. Ray and I have now done exactly 100 Tell Us Your Stories. Wow. You remember who the first one was? Was the first one Merle? Scott Fransky. Scott Fransky. I knew it was, I knew it was a broadcaster. Yeah, we did a lot of – at the beginning, we did Scott Fransky. We did Mark Zumoff. By the way, Zoo's going to join us as a guest next week. We did Merrill. Uh, and we've done – well, we've done 100. I don't need to list them all. I think, one of the, I think maybe the first athlete we done might, might, did might have been Bernie, right? Uh, actually, I can, I can look it up because I have it. So I know he was real – I know we did Bernie very early. But I know we went through all – we went through, the, like, the local broadcasters pretty early in it, too. Right, here's the list. Here you go. Scott Fransky, Merrill Reese, Mark Zumoff, Charlie Manuel, Doc Emmerich, Mike Quick was the first athlete we did, but again, he's a broadcaster as well. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We've done a lot. I could just read the names for the next hour and we'll just talk about these guys. And they were all good. They all had a story they, to tell they, and they yeah. were all fun. Yeah. It was really a good time. All right. Well, uh, we're going to give you a, a TV show to watch coming up. Ray and Glenn on 94. For WIP, excuse me while I find my ad copy. Here it is.
It's cold winter. If the weather hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty and efficient windows and doors, maybe the great people at Guided Door and Window can by extending their biggest discounts of the year through the end of February. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of Guided's big winter sale, here's another chance to do so. You receive 40% off every window and door you buy. That's 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, which also includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Act now. Offer is until the end of February, so don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate. By the way, I just want to congratulate the family that owns Guida, the Lamonicos. They just had two little twin babies. Congratulations to Ron Sr. You're a grandfather. Nice for you. Uh, get your free estimate at one eight seven seven go guide or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, Ray. Well, I, one of these days we've got to refresh that. Those shows have all been off air for a while. Uh, what we're watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through the month of February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven go guide or visit go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Before I get to the show, Ray, did you hear the news? Tony Romo is uh, going to be producing a drama series at Showtime focusing on the business world of professional football. Oh, yeah? I hadn't heard that. Oh, it's going to have so much damn dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like West Wing with three times the talking. Oh, God. You going to bring Aaron Sorkin in to to work with him? Please. Aaron, Aaron... Aaron Sorkin is Silent Sam compared to Tony Romo. Uh, by the way, is, by the way, just uh, uh, off, just as an aside here, yeah. Tony Romo did not have his finest hour in that uh, last last game he broadcast. No, the end the end of the game when he's saying, "No, they should let him score here." Yeah, what, are, are you are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? Yeah, let's get down by four points. Yeah, yeah the math did not make any sense. Yeah, we're ahead now, but you know what? Let's let them score. So and then we'll try to come back. Are you Listen, nuts? He was bad in that game. He was terrible in that in that uh, Cowboys game where he was openly rooting for the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. Right? No, he's had a bad year. He he's a guy who started out really well, and I think he's he's gotten really bad. Uh, and I mean, I know I'm inclined not to like him, but. Speaking honestly, he stinks. Yeah, but the uh, but the end but the end of that when when he said that about well I think yeah, maybe she'll let him score here. Yeah. I mean Jim Nance Jim Nance didn't know what to say. I know. I mean he was like he was like it was a stunned silence. Uh, like yeah, are I you know. nuts? Uh, so this show that uh, Romo's going to do for Showtime is a blend of Friday Night Lights and Succession, two shows I really like. Um, the executive producer is the guy who just did the show Yellow Yellow Jackets. Excuse me. Not Yellowstone, which I like too, but Yellow Jackets, which I reviewed a couple of weeks ago, which was really good. Real buzz on that show. Um, and it is in the early stages of development. Viacom CBS owned uh, Showtime. It follows a fictitious first family of football and the play- Jerry Jones and the players, coaches, and power brokers behind the high stakes world of America's biggest professional sports. Well, if Romo is producing it, and Romo is, you know by extension, an employee of professional football, I can't imagine it's going to get into the nitty-gritty, right? Wouldn't think so, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to make it, you know, this, this not going to blow the top off football. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see. 
Okay, so this is what I said to you before, um, and you said yes. You've watched a movie or a TV show, and you think like, oh, I really like that, and then an hour later, a day or two later, you think, well, that part didn't really hold up. Right. Maybe this plot angle doesn't really make sense. And that was this show. <clears throat> you know I love British cop shows. Uh, and I've switched my pattern, Ray. I watched a Danish cop show okay. called The Chestnut Man. Uh, and The Chestnut Man is a, a, a bleak, uh, noir, sometimes gruesome, very well done, cops chasing serial killer, six-part drama on Netflix. Uh, it's from a popular novel called The Chestnut Man, which I got very, I didn't read it, but, you know, sold a lot, a lot of popular reviews. Uh, it's about a murderer who leaves behind little chestnut figurines at the site as his calling card. That's how it gets the name. And the cops can't figure out who he is, although they, they learn his motivation, but they don't know who he is. And it's it's really, to, Netflix is no stranger to this kind of crime novel to TV pipeline. I mean, they've done... As I mentioned last week, they got the they got a whole programming wing devoted to Harlan Coben stories. So this is it. And the Chestnut Man certainly holds your attention. Lots of twists, a couple false leads, very tense, moves fast, good characters. I said gruesome, right? Did I say gruesome? Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, well my wife my wife basically watched the entire series looking through a blanket. Like when a uh, I don't want to give a lot, but this happens early enough. A victim or two gets a hand chopped off. So as a cop drama, and I watch a lot of them, it, it holds up. It grabs your interest. Uh, two challenges for me. One, maybe it's Denmark. Um, the series is dubbed, and I can deal with dubbed. They, they dub so much better than they used to. The acting on a lot of shows that they're dubbing is good. But all of the male characters looked and sounded exactly the same, or like they could at least be brothers. Every character in it was like a thin guy with light brown hair and three days' growth of beard. And they all had the, these quick, hard names, Haig and Hess and Gents. And Ray, it took me three episodes to figure out the good guys from the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And I would have to put it on pause and say to my wife, like, wait, was that the guy who was staring down at the lady at the gym? Or was that the police forensics guy? Again, maybe it's just me, but I just kept the characters all looked and sounded the same. Uh, and all that said, I enjoyed it right through the end. Uh, Chestnut Man entertaining, visually well done, tense. And then after I watched The Chestnut Man, Ray, I thought, wait, what about that loose end? Whatever happened to that guy who seemed pretty crucial to the whole plot? Like, he just disappeared in episode four. Like, what was his story? So lots of questions. So here's, the, here's my bottom line. Mixed review. It's a B-plus as you're watching it. A day or two later, it's a C plus. It, it's Ray. It's kind of like like if you ate too big of a bowl of chili, mm -hmm. like you'd really enjoy it at the time, right? And then the next day, you'd have some second thoughts. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> this this show, it's the best I could come up with on the spur of the moment, right? This show, Chestnut Man, is like a a big heaping bowl of chili. Hmm. Well, I kind of like chili, actually. I like chili, too. But there you go. And, I, and I rec I'm recommending the show, but I'm recommending it with a little bit of reservation in that if if you're a stickler for, like, things have to hold together. Right. 
yeah, it doesn't necessarily do so. No, oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, yeah, when you but, wait, no, but, I, but again, I, I'm, I'm watch it. Chestnut Man on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, Six I parts mean, what, Danish. What you were saying about uh, the characters, it took you a while to sort out the characters because they all looked alike and sounded alike. And it's they a, all had the same name. Like yeah. Gens and Hess and Hagen. You know, it's, yes. I had, the same, I had the same problem for about the first three or four episodes of Mayor of Easttown. I thought I thought I thought all the, I thought all the I thought all, I thought all of the mayor I thought all of the male characters they all were just as you described them they were all kind of about the same age looked the same dressed the same had the same kind of beard um, and it took it took I was really I was three or four episodes in before I kind of like, okay now I've kind of sorted it out but for a while is that a cop or is that a killer Yeah I mean they, right. you know they were. That was it was to me it was very confusing. The one male character who didn't look like anybody was Guy Pierce, who came in and was for for a brief moment right. mayor's sort of love interest. Yeah, he yeah. didn't. He he looked like a total alien in Delaware County. Yeah, well, uh, he would, and probably would in real life. But I mean, as far as the other characters, the ones that were going to stay with you for the whole show, um, I that was a problem for me early in that series, and I I finally sorted it out. But early on, it was a little bit puzzling to me. Yeah, well. There you go. So watch the chestnut man, but understand the next day later you'll feel like you ate too big of a bowl of chili. Okay, I'm forewarned. Okay, Jerry and Hatboro, you're on ninety four WIP. Jerry, ah, we had him all that time, and then we lost him. Jerry, call back. We'll get you. Uh, we right, fortunately have a backup Jerry. Oh, good. In Phoenixville. Are you there, Jerry? Gentlemen. There you go. Yeah. There you go. How you doing? Good. We're fine. Call- I've since moved. Hey, Jerry, you're kind of, I I don't know if you're on a headset or not, but you sound a little far away if you can improve that. Uh, There we go. Got you off speaker. Sorry about that. Actually calling from New Mexico. Moved since I last called many years ago. um, All right. So here's my uh, sports uh, conundrum. I think the Eagles roster stinks in comparison to the rest of the playoff teams. And I just want to hear you guys comment on uh, how wise it would be to trade one of those first-round picks for a couple of twos and a three, because that's the only way I see these guys getting better enough uh, quick to compete next year. Thought. Right, Ray? Well, you know, Jerry, I, I, um, I don't know that you have to do that. I mean, you've got three first-round picks. You can get, you know, where they're where they're drafting, fifteen, sixteen, nineteen. You know they've got they've got three first round picks right there. So I mean they can they can get come away with three really good players right there. I don't I don't know that you need to do a trade out or a trade down to add picks. You got picks. You got plenty of picks. I just, I just think their defense, comparatively speaking, stinks. It doesn't ring of like that that Eagles defense of years gone by. You didn't listen really to what were. Ray just said. You got three first round picks that you can address the defense. Edge rusher, linebacker, safety. Boom. I don't want three. I want five. <laughs> well, the five you get in the second and third round won't be as good as you get in the first round. I mean, they may. I would say this. Less than 50-50 chance that the Eagles end up drafting in those three spots. Ray, agree or disagree? No, I agree. I uh, I, I, I don't necessarily like the idea, uh, but I, knowing Howie uh, and knowing the way he likes to wheel and deal, uh, with all the picks that he's got, I don't see him just sitting there and picking – and, and letting the letting the draft come to him, I think he's going to I think he's going to wheel and deal. But I, mm-hmm. you know, you could believe me. I, I was I was doing. I'm starting to do some of the draft stuff now. Oh, good, good. And there are there are so many there are so many good players, but so many good defensive players. 
in this draft that it really, if you, if you just stay put 15, 16, 19, you can come away with three really good players. I love that. And, and I am not a draft Nick, but here's what I have heard, which is this draft is not particularly talented at the very top. It is not particularly talented in quarterbacks. As I mean, I think that's kind of common knowledge. But that, as you just said, there's a lot of good defensive players to take you through the first round. And if all of that is true, well, that's exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't care if the number three pick is good. I don't care if they're good quarterbacks, but if there's enough valuable defenders and we can get three of them, boom. Yeah, I'll just give you two numbers right now. I mean, I just I've been looking over all the all the Senior Bowl stuff and looking back a little bit on East West Shrine game, which played was played this past week, just to try and get a sense of where the draft falls. And I'm trying to slot some players and get an idea of how this draft shaking out. And right now, uh, my top 25 players, uh, I've got seven defensive linemen and five linebackers. Wow. I mean, that's, that is how many good, like it. really I... good defensive players are there. And believe me, if you, just, if you just stay where you are in this draft, you'll come away with three really good players. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk to our doctor from Cooper Bone & Joint. Work a few callers in and go to Best of Tell Us Your Story. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. Scheib Vintage Sports Annual Super Sale is here. Now through Sunday, February 13th, they're taking 30% off on all Throwback Eagles gear online and in-store. This includes both licensed apparel and originals from Philadelphia artists. So shop now at ShibeSports.com or at their store at 13th and Walnut in Center City. Sizes and quantities are limited, so act fast and come to visit Shibe Vintage Sports. That's where there's a story in every stitch. Right in, you Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. This is when we check in with our doctors from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard joins us today. How are you getting through this cold weather, Doc? Uh, just trying to stay warm. There you go. Ray, I turn it to you. Doctor, um, I guess you know, everybody's aware of the surgery that uh, uh, Jalen Hurts underwent this week. It's no great surprise. He finished out the year obviously playing on a bad ankle, and we saw him when he came out of the locker room for the final game in Tampa Bay. He came out in a walking boot, so he was asked at the press conference, do you think you're going to need surgery? He said, I hope not, but I think we all kind of knew that it might happen, and it, it's going to it's going to come up this week. He's going to have surgery on his left ankle on Wednesday. Uh, they're saying it's high ankle sprain. Um, we've dealt with those before, but when you're talking about your quarterback, you're talking about a guy who next year is you know going to have a lot of responsibility on him. If he undergoes high ankle sprain surgery this Wednesday, um, what is the recovery time? And will he? You know, will he's? They're saying that they have full confidence that he'll be ready to go for spring camp. Is that realistic? Um, I think so. You know, it it depends precisely what the procedure is. You know, there's uh, sometimes, you know, for high ankle sprain, it creates some scar tissue, which can kind of uh, limit the the motion of the ankle and, you know, cause discomfort. And for that, you know, a a quick arthroscopic procedure to clean out the scar tissue typically doesn't result in a whole lot of downtime. Uh, You know, if it's a ligament surgery, you know, the high ankle sprain, obviously, uh, injures some ligaments. And so if there's uh, some procedure like that, recovery can be a little longer. Um, I think uh, Lane Johnson had a, uh, a ligament-type surgery for a high ankle sprain a couple years ago, and I think he took a while to recover. But I, if memory serves me correctly, I think uh, Tua down in Alabama ended up having both ankles operated on at different times. Right. And he was back pretty rapidly, I, th- I thought, in season. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, uh, there's uh, he had Hurst Hurts when he was at Alabama. Interestingly, you mentioned Tua. Uh, when Hertz was at Alabama, he had high ankle sprain on his other leg, on his right leg, uh, and underwent a similar surgical procedure and came back and obviously played fine at Alabama and then at Oklahoma. So, is, But is there some sort of a predisposition now that he's had this condition twice now, once on each leg, or is it just a matter of he, it, that's what happens when you play football? Uh, yes to both. You know, uh, just, I mean, playing the way he plays kind of predisposes to you know, putting yourself in that kind of position where you can get it. Uh, but, you know, obviously the majority of uh, players playing football don't get these kind of injuries. So there probably is something in the way that he's put together that predisposes to this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's happened to both his ankles. But it's difficult to put your finger exactly on what that may be, and it may just be dumb luck. Sure. Uh, Doc, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friend. All right, thanks. You too. Uh, thanks, thank doctor. you very much. Uh, I know we're having this uh, quarterback debate on 94 WIP over the course of the next month, Tuesday, Thursdays. Angelo is going to go through the whole crew, I hope. Certainly I would like the opportunity to weigh in uh, as the host of the Eagles pregame show. Have they contacted you about this yet? No. If drafted, will you serve? Uh, probably not. What, uh, what, <laughs> what, what do they have in mind here? <laughs> It, it's Ray. It's you. You don't have to hit the other guy with a dead mackerel. It's it's basically Angelo is doing a segment with uh, other hosts on the station where basically you just lay out your case for whom you think should be the Eagles, for what you think should be the Eagles' quarterback plan in twenty twenty two. Whether you think they should stick with the kid or should they trade for Russell Wilson or should they draft somebody or what should be the direction they go. And then uh, Angelo is is quite enjoying his opportunity to wear the robes and carry the gavel. And at the end of the process, again, I'm not sure how long it's going, how many people are being interviewed. I certainly am looking forward to the opportunity. He is going to decree, based on all of these arguments, whom he thinks should be the guy. I see. So this is this is sort of uh, what used to be the Great Eagles debate, but without the debate. As I said, you don't have to hit anybody with a dead fish. Uh-huh. Well, they haven't asked me well, you're yet. You're on there every week anyway, so he'll he'll get you. Uh, yeah, I guess. I I mean, I, yeah, they haven't asked me yet, so I think I think the uh, I think that I I may be out on this one, and that's fine with me. <laughs> Please try. You know, your enthusiasm is infectious. Well, I mean, how many times do I have to cover the same ground? I think we've <laughs> kind of. So I've, I think I've kind of told people how my feeling is on this thing. Well, there you go, and. And I believe it's pretty much the same as mine, which is let's stick with the kid for one more year. He played pretty well. Right. I mean, the last game aside, it's you know what's so funny is that last game. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm good with I'm good with Hertz, and then the last game's like, oh no, you can't go back with that. Right. Exactly. Um, the, but I I want to see him play another year. He plays cheap. I thought he had an upside. Let's see how it plays out. Uh, and and the other thing, and we got to cut in a minute, so I'll just I'll try to make this really quick is that I see a lot of people uh, making the argument of, hey, you know, when you watch these quarterbacks, who are the, you watch Mahomes and you, you know, you watch Burrow and you watch Allen, you, you need that to win. So they got to move on. And to which my answer is, okay, if the Eagles could get Mahomes or Burrow or, or, or uh, Allen in the draft, I'd be all for it. But if that guy's not there, I don't want to take a reach on a Malik Willis just because my quarterback is not – project to be an elite quarterback right 
That's right. my opinion. No, I think you're. I, I so think whether right. Angelo asks me or not, I've laid it out. No, that's. I mean, that's. I think that's a very sensible approach. That's. that's you pretty much stated where I'm coming from on this. If there was, you know, if Trevor Lawrence were coming out in this draft, if Joe Burrow were coming out in this draft, you know, it'd be a whole different conversation. But the fact is, he's not. So, right. you know, I'm. I'm willing to give the kid another year. I thought he made. I thought he made real strides this year. And is he Joe Burrow? No. You know, is he Mahomes? No. That doesn't mean that you can't can't win with him. I mean, because you demonstrated you could win with him this year. So, right. yeah, I mean, you got so many other areas to fill. Attack those in this draft, and you know, give him another year to grow into the role. That that's uh, that's sort of my position. Well, if we don't get called for that uh, special thing, at least we've established our position. There you go. All right, coming up, uh, best of tell us your story again. I'll t- take a couple seconds to just explain to people what they're about to hear. Yeah, it's uh, it's the first of the three episodes, and this one is called Greatest Moments, and it's. Uh, a whole bunch of different people here. It's George Foreman, it's Jim Lynham, it's Dawn Staley, it's Jay Wright, Al Michaels, Mike Ruzioni, Bobby Clark, a couple other guys, talking about their greatest moment and moments that they remember. And, uh, you know, a couple of them apply directly to what we've already been talking about this uh, today, which was Super Bowl 52. We have Gene Steratore talks about the Philly special and how it looked from the referee's point of view. And we also have Chris Long talking about what it was like to – Ride to down uh, Eakins Oval and uh, and celebrate that Super Bowl and share it with the city of Philadelphia. So that's my greatest moment coming up uh, on uh, Tell Us Your Best of Tell Us Your Story. Enjoy Ray and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Hi, I'm Ray Didinger. And I'm Glenn Macnow. When the pandemic hit and sports shut down in March 2020, Ray and I knew we would need alternative ways to entertain our audience. With no games to discuss, we started calling on some of our friends, Merrill Reese, Dick Vermeil, Larry Anderson, guys we knew had fascinating stories of how life's path got them where they are today. We conducted hour-long interviews, way longer than we normally allow on the radio, and we gave the feature an obvious name, Tell Us Your Story. We figured then that we would keep the feature going, well, only until sports returned. Well, it's now nearly two years later, and while the games are back, we learn from our listeners that you want us to continue with Tell Us Your Story. We've now conducted 100 of these conversations, Hall of Famers, local favorites, ballplayers, broadcasters, all with fascinating tales to tell. We've heard stories of heroism and heartache, humble beginnings and turning points, and so we decided to put together some of the best moments of those 100 episodes. This show focuses on great moments and great performances. And in 2020, we talked to George Foreman, about the night in Jamaica that he faced Joe Frazier. Intimidation, is nothing wrong with that word. Uh, we've seen Joe Frazier fight Quarry, who was the best counterpuncher in boxing, Jerry Quarry. Uh, Jimmy Ellis, who had Angelo Dundee and Mohammed's skill and exposure. Joe Frazier would knock you out. And, and so Dev, Saddle would give me this, uh, this guy you're going against tonight. He's got a glass jaw. He can't take a punch. He doesn't have a right hand. We could always say that about everyone we fought, but going into the dressing room with Joe Frazier, we looked at each other and, and said, don't even go there. <laughs> he can't take He There was no pep talking you can give. I had to be ready. Joe Frazier, everything you see in a nightmare as a fighter, he was so short down there, you couldn't get him with your jab. Everything that you didn't want to face in boxing, Joe Frazier had it. And so getting out of that dress room was a, a chore for me that night. I had to walk all the long walk into the ring thinking, you're going to fight Joe Frazier. Scary. That was scary. 
I, I guess it was Dick Sadler that, that mapped out the strategy for you, which was when you watch it now, you, you kept pushing Joe off. Like every time, like Joe's whole approach, and he did, he had this successfully against Ali, was close the distance between the fighters. He was always coming in. He was always boring in, throwing that left hook. But every time he got close to you, you sort of pushed him off and got him out to your punching distance, and that's where you were able to swing the fight in your on your side. Uh, and uh, to really think about it, remember I had 37 boxing matches. I fought all the time, all the styles in the world I those guys. I was doing those things to Joe Frazier that I had been doing all over the country for about almost three and a half years. So here he is trying to get close to me. It was like stop, block, get out of the way. Those were my things I was told to do from the day I turned pro. And in Sunday Liston, we trained and spar together. We weren't allowed to really uh, go out at each other. Liston was very uh, protective of me. So I had to learn stopping, blocking, get out of the way from Liston, too. He'd be over there looking for me, too, and I wouldn't run. So I had developed this defensive style and would have punched to go along with it. That was me totally. I was right in my uh, uh, where I should be with Joe Frazier. Probably defensively, it was an easy fight. It was an easy fight for George Foreman, not so much for Joe Frazier. Hey, one of our favorite interviews of 2021 was when we got to talk to local hoops legend Jimmy Lynham, the pride of Havertown. Uh, and when I think of Jimmy Lynham, even though he was coach and general manager of the Sixers, I always think first of his tenure as the coach at St. Joe's. And then I always think, of course, of the legendary game in 1981 when the Hawks upset number one ranked DePaul. If you don't believe me, just listen to Joe Conklin do his imitation. Anyway, of course, when Ray and I talked to Jim Lynham, we talked about that game. Well, that's real simple, Glenn. The message going in during the year, DePaul had played in Philly. Back then, we played doubleheaders at the Palestra. So we had played the first game, and myself and most of my players are going to watch the second game. The second game is LaSalle, DePaul. The LaSalle backcourt is Kevin Lynham, my young, one of mm. my younger brothers, and his high school teammate, Greg Webster, who's at LaSalle on a golf scholarship. He's a very good basketball player. That's the starting backcourt. DePaul beats LaSalle. I'm going to call it a three-point wire job. So what I did to prepare my team, no scouting report. I took them into a hotel room the night before, and I said, all right, this is going to be sweet and simple, guys. I said, we're going to watch 10 minutes of tape. And I f turned the light switch off put the 8-millimeter camera on, and we watched the last eight minutes of DePaul LaSalle. Not a word said. Not like, all right, watch McGuire here going right. Not a word. Silence in the room as the tape plays. Tape finishes. I flipped the light switch. I said, you ready? If that backcourt with LaSalle of Lineham and Webster can play DePaul to the wire, I think we have a shot. <laughs> well, you did, and you did. You know, uh, your team had a was on a real roll there. I mean, you had you as Glenn said, you had a really good year. Um, you had already scored one upset in the game against Creighton. You beat them by, I think, a point or two to get to DePaul. But then, um, the, DePaul, everybody expects DePaul to win. As they have, they have McGuire, they have Cummins, they have a, a bunch of pros on that team. Um, but it comes down to the end, and there's um, a. a just a sort of a make-or-break kind of a one-on-one -on -one situation. And a guy named Skip Dillard, who they was such a 
such a deadly foul shooter. They called him Money Dillard. He never missed. Misses the front half of the one-on-one. Uh, you guys get the rebound. Warwick brings it up the court, passes to Lonnie McFarland. He gets it off to John Smith. Bang, you guys lay it in and win the game. Um, I, I remember you, you telling a story one time that years later, and I mean years later, you're watching your favorite TV show, which was 60 Minutes, and all of a sudden here comes a segment about Skip Dillard on, uh, and he's doing an interview with Mike Wallace from a penitentiary and talks in an orange jumpsuit talking about the day that his life turned in the wrong direction. And it was that same day. And you said, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let you tell the story, but what a jaw-dropping moment that must have been for you to see how one moment that was so good for you could have been so wrong for somebody else. Uh, you just uh, described it, uh, Ray, and it was just the uh, happenstance. I was in my uh, house, you know, uh, I did like to watch 60 Minutes. I was by myself, and I, my recollection, you know, I watched like the first segment. I think it was the third segment, and boom, all of a sudden, and obviously I recognized the name Skip Dillard. I had no idea, you know, that what had transpired in his life after that particular game. But, yes, he's being interviewed. Uh, he said that uh, he thought he was on top of the world, thought he was going to play in the NBA, and uh, this uh, devastating loss, he took it personally. He was never able to shake it because he missed a foul shot that would have won the game. And, uh, you know, they back then DePaul was, you know, they were the, the deal in Chicago. Uh, this was their, their their final, like, run to finally win an NCAA championship. And he, he just – he took it personally. And it, it, it was a, just a, a devil that never left him. And his life went south after that. And, yeah, it was, it was – uh, I sat there almost numb for I don't know how long after the show ended. Just uh, here I am, you know, what's such a big moment in my life. And, you know, people still talking about it years later. And it sent somebody else's life in the that polar opposite direction. Among the great moments in Big Five history, few can top Villanova's win over North Carolina in the 2016 NCAA championship game. It ended on a buzzer beater by Chris Jenkins. And we asked head coach Jay Wright the obvious question. How did you feel at that moment? You know what, Glenn? I, I swear, I, I it's just, um, it. I, I don't, I don't, I haven't figured out a way to explain this shit. It's not that big of a deal to me. The whole run was so enjoyable, you know. And, and like years later, you realize um, it. It has impacted. It has impacted uh, our my family's life, our life, definitely. People, you know, treat you so much, so differently. And I've finally gotten to, um, I've, I've come to grips with it. People in Philadelphia will thank me. You know, they'll, they'll come up and say, hey, thank you. Thanks for the championships. I never, I, I kind of thought they were saying congratulations, you know. So I, I just say, yeah, thanks. I, I, but I'm starting to realize, like, it, it's a part of Philadelphia sports history. You actually said it in the intro, which is, that means a lot to me because, you know, I, I do, I love the Philadelphia, I love being a part of the Philadelphia sports um, scene. I, I just, I love, you know, I just love the, I love the Phillies. I love the Sixers, the Eagles, the Flyers. I, so the fact that we are a part of that is, I'm starting to understand that and that Philly takes some pride in it. I really like that. I like that a lot. Um, the journey, go, like six six weeks 
you know, leading up, you know, Big East tournament and leading up to that national championship. It's it's a player and a coach's dream when everything's just everything's working, everything's in sync, everything's positive. Like you, that's what I loved about it. Like having the you know the ring or or the championship really is not big, that big of a deal. But having had that experience with that group of guys was so incredible. It's euphoric to just be in it when you're. You win the you, you you win the second round and you're practicing for three days going to the Sweet 16, and then you win the final eight. You go back and you're practicing to go to the Final Four and those those practices and you're on the bus ride going to the arenas and it's oh man it's that's you don't know how uh, how exhilarating that is or how exhilarating it's going to be until you go through it. Speaking of exhilarating, for most Philadelphia fans, not much can top the 2008 Phillies championship season. The last game of the World Series, the last inning, the last at bat, of course, came down to Brad Lidge, who was perfect that season, 48 for 48. Lidge had to face Eric Hinsky of the Tampa Bay Rays. And in this interview, Lidge told us how he and the team approached that moment. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, I, I had... Uh... So when he comes in to pinch it, and by the way, uh, yes, we are we are in the same same fantasy football league, and we don't talk about that moment too much. <laughs> we, we've said it maybe once or twice, but you know he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he'll he'll bring it up actually. But um, anyway, so I'd faced Eric Hinsky once in my life before, and, and and his rich doobie came out to the mound, and we met on the mound, and the infielders come in, and you know we're all standing there around the bump, and, and Chooch comes out, and you know Chase, Jimmy, Reinhardt, and and. And, and Doobie's like, hey, listen, uh, you know, do you know what you're doing here? And I said, yeah. I said, well, what? Because we'd already gone over the scouting report if I was going to face him. He, I, he just wanted to make sure, pretty big moment right there, wanted to make sure I knew what I was going to do. And I said, I'm not throwing him a fastball. I know that. And Doobie's like, wait, why? I said, because the last time I threw it, he waffled it and hit it off the, hit it off the wall in right center field. So he's just going to get straight sliders. And, and I remember in that moment, for some reason, feeling so kind of like calm. And, uh, and like ready for the at bat. Like I knew what I was doing and I knew the thought process. And, and uh, I even kind of, you know, cracked a joke a little bit at that point. So, so Rich Doobie kind of looked at me out of the corner of his eye, like what the hell's wrong with this guy? He goes back into, in, into the, into the dugout. And uh, I think that kind of relaxed everybody a little bit and it, it relaxed myself too. And, um, and of course, so Chooch comes out and he's like, well, hey, okay, if you're only going to throw sliders, he's like, I'm not going to put down any signs. We're just going to throw sliders until he's out. I was like, all right, let's do it. So he goes back down there and sits down, and, and you know, that's sure enough what we do. You know, like, able to get ahead of, of Eric Hinsky with a couple, you know, good sliders. And, and, uh, and then he kind of fouls one or two off and uh, maybe takes one for a ball. But I do remember coming set and gripping that last slider and, and kind of the feel of the scenes in my fingertips. And I remember I was like, oh, man, this is the one. Like, I, I could feel that that was going to be the pitch. And uh, so in my mind, I was like, just, you know, make it look like a fastball because he still thinks at some point a fastball is coming. So make it look like a fastball for a strike and get on top and let the bottom drop out. And, uh, you know, fortunately uh, came out of my hand and, and that's what it did. And uh, I guess the rest is history. Well, and then just to follow and then the emotion afterward, I, I, I know there's the, you know, the big pile up on the mound, but I'm just curious. Did you, did you look at the stands? Did you look for somebody? What was the feeling afterward? Uh, oh, I'll tell you. I mean, at that moment, I, I just kind of, when he swung and missed, I, I just, you know, it, it kind of hits you in, in these little waves. Like, like, you can't believe that that just happened. Like, I, I just looked up, and I, I remember, you know, 
looking up and or, or jumping. I don't even remember. You know, falling on my knees. And I looked up and I was just like, oh my god. And Chooch is running out, and I was like, oh my god, we just won the World Series, and and you know he's running out there, and uh, all of a sudden, like you know, <laughs> twenty five dudes, two hundred plus pounds are jumping on top and piling on top, and I always tell people like, you know, I, I can't explain that moment exactly. I can only tell you that I was on the bottom of a pile of all those guys and I was still screaming for joy. I couldn't catch my breath, but I was still screaming for joy because I was so excited and so thrilled at that moment. So, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's tough to describe, of course, the emotion and the culmination of that moment when you're, you know, that's, that's something that uh, you've always wanted to be a part of and always, uh, you know, in some way, I mean, maybe when I was young, you know, full circle back moment, I probably thought to myself that I'd be hitting uh, you know, the, the, as, as, a, as a youth baseball player, I'd be hitting the walk-off home run in a World Series, but uh, pitching it obviously uh, uh, felt just every bit as good. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, my family was there and everything else, and everyone gets to go out in the field afterward, and it's just uh, an incredible moment. Andrea Kramer is a Philadelphia native, the daughter of a judge who grew up as a rabid football fan. She followed her passion to a job at NFL Films and then ESPN, where she became one of the most respected reporters in the business. Her ultimate thrill, of course, came in 2018 when she won the Pete Rozelle Award at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This was her reaction. So I get a call from the Hall of Fame, and they, they left me a message because I was in the middle of the shoot. And I, it was the day that he said he wasn't coming, so I figured, oh, boy, they're going to need some extra programming. You know, I've hosted some interviews there before. They probably need me to host something. So I get around to calling Dave Baker back, the, the ex- uh, executive director of the Hall of Fame, and he tells me, and I was like, oh, are you effing kidding me? Are you, you know, and he's like, well, I'm glad that that's your reaction now and not live. And I couldn't believe it because I really, really, really never thought it was going to happen. And um, you make your speech on Friday night at the Gold Jacket dinner, and then uh, they present you with the plaque. And uh, Dave Baker walks me out to the stage and um and presents me with the award, and I got a standing ovation. All the Hall of Famers on the stage are standing, and I'm, like, numb. And Dave says to me under his breath, you can, I, there's something you can actually hear. He goes, they're standing for you. And the people in the, the crowd in the stadium was standing for me, and it was like this surreal moment. I didn't, you know, you feel like, you feel like you're up there for 10 hours, and it's probably 10 seconds. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should curtsy, like, pull back, you know, go back to my dancing days and, like, just, you know, I didn't know what to do. It was, it was just this surreal moment, and, um, and it was because my, my, my parents are both passed away, and I know that they were looking down, but it was just having my husband, my son, my father-in-law, who's like a second father to me, having my closest friends there, that was it, man. That, that, that's it. Like I said in my Hall of Fame speech to my son, you know, I always told you, Will, mommy goes away because she has to, not because she wants to, and I hope that this provides some mem- measure of validation for why I went away. But it was, a, it was a really emotional weekend because I never thought it would happen. This being a show about great moments, I can't imagine many things greater than being chosen to carry your country's flag at the opening ceremony of the Olympics. That's exactly the honor that came to Dawn Staley, daughter of Philadelphia, captain of the 2004 U.S. Olympic women's basketball team. Here is Dawn from our interview last year talking about how that great moment came upon her. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a pretty cool process. Um, that process is, is this. Um, all the captains of all the teams that are participating in the Olympics, we, we get together 
in one place, and what happens is those captains bring in candidates for the flag bearer. And we and there are as many as 20, 25 um, nominees. And, I mean, these nominees are, are made up of people who have overcome life-threatening um, illnesses or injuries, or people who have, you know, to me have uh, have contributed so much more than than me. So my teammates wanted me to nominate myself, and I'm the only one that's that's in the room that's a nominee. So I didn't really think I had a shot, and I I was I felt kind of embarrassed just nominating myself. And especially with all, you know, all those things that other people have gone through, um, I just felt like, oh, okay, I, I'm gonna do what my teammates told me told, told me to do, and that is um, nominate myself. So I talked about being a three-time Olympian. I talked about um, having a foundation at the time. I talked about uh, playing and coaching because that's what I was doing. And then, and then we all take a vote. We all take a vote, and we, we come up with the top five nominees. And once we got that, and we, it, it's a pretty fast process after we hear about all the nominee stories. Um, and then top five, and then we take another vote, and then we need to come back with the top three, and then we take another vote, and we come up with the top, hmm. the top person. And I could not believe after after round one, I'm just like, really? I mean, like they have me on here, and then after the second round when we got to the top three, I was a part of the top three, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and then, and then they come back and they say I'm the flag bearer, and I'm like, really? Like I I really didn't know all that. I I didn't know all that the being a flag bearer entailed like I had I had no idea until until I had my meeting with the committee and they were pretty you know strict and stern and and they told me they told me um never tilt the flag never tilt it you know when when you walk into the stadium that flag is held high until you until you hand it off to, you know, the the person that I'm supposed to hand it off to, and then they said, no matter how you're received, because sometimes people aren't, you know, going to receive United States well. So if you hear booing, hissing, cheering, you have the same face, you smile. And I was like, okay, those are you know pretty easy instructions, and and that's what I did. But I couldn't help. But the smile, once I moved into the, when I walked into the arena, uh, the stadium, because it was the most exhilarating, the most unexpected, the most just organic feeling that you could have um, in sport. I mean, I, I do equate it to like a royal wedding because everybody's watching you and all over the world. And I'm just yeah. thinking this, this, this little girl from North Philly is the flag bearer. And 
it's it's crazy. That was a great story, and we've got a lot more coming up, including tales of Olympic miracles, Stanley Cups, and one of our favorite players from the 2017 Eagles talks about his view of the Super Bowl parade. Along with Ray Dinger, I'm Glenn Mack now, bringing you the best of Tell Us Your Story on 94 WIP. I'm Ray Didinger, along with Glenn Macnow, and you were listening to the best of Tell Us Your Story, sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, no one will ever forget that moment. It's been called the greatest upset in sports history, and the man who made that call, Al Michaels, joined us to relive what we now know as the miracle on ice, the U.S. hockey team's win over the mighty Soviets at the 1980 Winter Olympics. Yeah, first of all, we had no idea that the U.S. could win the game. And our hotel was just a few blocks from the arena. The game started at 5 o'clock, and I know Ken and I walked over from the hotel at about 2.15. And I remember part of the conversation was me saying to Ken, who had just retired after winning in a multiple Stanley Cups and Vezina trophies with the Canadians, the best we could hope for would be 3-1 Soviets midway through the second period. Uh, what we really feared, or I really feared, was 5 nothing Soviets 12 minutes into the game. Uh, Kenny and I had been to the Soviet Union about three months prior. We watched a tournament called the Izvestia Tournament, which featured all of the Olympic teams except the U.S. team. And we watched the Soviets, and Kenny had played against them, so he knew what, what they were all about. But I, it was hockey like I had never seen it. Uh, they made it look so simple. Of course, the rink is so much wider than it is in the NHL. The cross-ice passing was beautiful. They were so much faster than any team. I mean, they they were the best team in the world. They were. Going up against a bunch of, you know, pretty much college kids, uh, good good hockey players, but college kids. Average age for the U.S. team was 22. You know, the Soviets were listed as students and, and soldiers, but they were professional hockey players. That's what they did 11 months uh, of the year. So we thought... You know, just if the game can stay, if it sounds close, we'll keep an audience. And then, of course, we, you know, we walk into uh, an amazing game. And I look back at that game, too, and you know, but people forget is the U.S. trailed three times in the game. How often does a team trail one nothing, 2-1, 3-2, tie it, get outshot 39-16, two and a half to one, they're outshot, and win the game? So that whole thing was so surreal. It was almost an out-of-body experience. And um, here we are 41 years later. And, of course, Mike Arruzzioni's made an entire career about, you know, going out on the road and doing these great speeches, and people love it. Because I've done a whole bunch of them with him through the years, and, and people can't get enough of it. And Mike and I just, you know, laugh like crazy every time we talk about, man, oh, man, we've dined out on this thing for 40 years. Who could have believed that? <laughs> so we knew when this thing happened, you knew it was big, but everything has a shelf life. But to have a shelf life of four decades and not you know not slowing down either. I mean, the 50th anniversary, uh, hope I'm around to, to see this baby, uh, <laughs> will be just as big because uh, it was a moment in time that uh, it would be very hard to recapture all of the elements that went into making that um, what it was. Well, let's stay with that Miracle on Ice for one more interview, and let's get the perspective of the captain of that 1980 team, my college classmate, Mike Arruzzioni. In this cut, Mike talks about 
Well, kind of the afterglow of the event, after the gold medal, how it affected the country from Washington, D.C. to Boston to his hometown of Winthrop, Massachusetts. Well, after the game, after we beat Finland, um, we get up the next morning to go to the White House. President Carter uh, had all the Olympians go to the White House. So we got on a plane. Um, I think it was Air Force One. It was one of the president's planes, and we flew to Washington. And when we got off the plane and the bus going to the White House, the, the, the streets were lined, you know, four, five, six rows deep, people waving flags, people congratulating us on our victory. And my teammates and I were like, wow, this thing is crazy. Then we got to the White House, and President Carter and all the people there, the media, the attention was crazy. Then we got on the plane. Uh, the four of us were going to fly back to Boston, but Jimmy went to Atlanta sign with the plane. So me, O.C., and uh, Callahan and Silky get on the Eastern Airlines shuttle. Uh, we get on the plane, and the plane started applauding. And we were looking around going, what's this? So then we landed Logan, and the terminal packed with people and police and state police and you know, media. And, you know, it was, it was wild. Then I, I go back to my hometown. My hometown is a small little town, one square mile, you know, 20,000 people. And I think 18,000 were at the bridge to meet me when I came home. <laughs> And, and, and it was wild. Then, then I got up the next day and went to New York to do uh, Good Morning America, I think it was. And I got on the plane. Everybody in the plane started applauding. And I turned around. I didn't know who got on the plane. And I was like, and then it kind of hit me. And I think it clearly hit my teammates. And now 40 years later, if you see the letters I get, the mail I get, what this moment meant to people for, for a lot of different reasons. For, for some, it was a hockey game, but... For many, many people, it was uh, we brought some pride back to a country that at a time was uh, maybe similar to what we're dealing with today, divided and not sure of where we were going, and the economy and gas lines and hostages and the threat of a Cold War. And all of a sudden, we come along, and I think it just showed what makes this country so great. You know, when, when you think you're, you're, you're in the dumps, uh, something happens to, to bring everybody back together again. And clearly, that moment was that. And I, I think that's why... It resonates today. You know, it was voted the greatest sports moment of the 20th century, and, and not because of the victory, but I think what the victory meant to a nation. It's not like the Super Bowl when one city wins and one loses and other teams don't care because they're not there. Uh, it's the Olympics, and it's a nation. And, and I think clearly that's what separated our moment from others and what clearly separates it today. I don't know if it will ever happen again in sports, but clearly, you know, that was a moment that uh, – Touched a lot of people's lives for a lot of different reasons. In 1974, Philadelphia had its own miracle on ice. The Flyers' rollicking run to its first Stanley Cup. The Broad Street Bullies upset the Boston Bruins, and the next day, two million people filled the streets of Center City for a parade that team captain Bobby Clark will never forget. Well, when we started out, I mean, they were right at the parking lot on Broad Street at the Spectrum there. And I remember the driver in the convertible I was in, he's... It'll clear as soon as we get out of the parking lot. It just never cleared. It was it was an amazing, you know. You know how do you describe these things? You couldn't put two million people together now and have no crime, like we had in those days. It was just a celebration. Mm -hmm. Today's world, you'd be scared to death to have two million people come into the city of Philadelphia. You know, it's a, and I'm not being political. I'm just being realistic here. Yeah, that was a two million dollar with no crime. I think one horse, if I recall correctly, one horse stepped on a woman's foot or something. There's <laughs> one horse. There was some, you know, yeah. nothing. Yeah, just a celebration of all good feelings. 
it was it was really special. I know that one of the things that I remember was there was a bus that was they made the press bus, but also in addition to the media that was on the bus were all the families, all the parents of you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. So so your uh, so your dad was there, and and Schultz's dad was there, and I I rode next to Joe Watson Senior. Uh, uh, he was in the oh, yeah. he was in the seat next to me the the the, the butcher from from Smithers, uh, but yeah. I, I mean it must have, as as blown away as you guys must have been by the reaction in the city. I can only imagine what the reaction of the families was. I mean, what did your parents make of that celebration? I'm sure they never saw that many people in one place ever in their life. Oh no, they. I mean, probably in those at that time there's probably 25 million people in all of Canada, <laughs> and they go they they just. Again, it's oh, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's no way you could ever describe how my my mom and dad saw what they saw and how they felt is beyond any um, any vocabulary that I would have to describe it. Did, at one point, didn't they have? Didn't the police have to get you and Bernie out of the parade route because your car was just being so swamped by people? They were starting to worry about your safety. It wasn't safety so much. The, the guy who was driving me and had a brand new, I believe it was a Cadillac convertible at the time, and he was a private citizen. I, I don't know how he ever got how he got in, and but there was all private citizens driving us, and we were, I don't know, close, getting fairly close to city hall, and the car was full of ribbons and beer and everything. And he was worried about the car being scratched and everything. And he should have been. He was right. And I finally said to him, Look, if you can get us out of here, we'll just go back to the Spectrum and wait until it's all over. Because I said, I don't want your car wrecked. And I wasn't worried about getting hurt. It was just everybody being friendly. But it was it was just, I guess someone could have got hit in the head with a can of beer or something. But I was enjoying myself. But it was it was too... I don't know how that. Again, I can't describe wild. it. It was just so many too wild. Yeah, it was too wild. Yeah. It was. I mean, how many topless girls up on telephone poles can you look at in one day? <laughs> well, Bob, I don't really know the answer to that one, to be honest. With apologies to every other great play in every title run in our city's history, nothing was more exciting and surprising than the Philly special in Super Bowl Fifty Two. The head referee of that game was Gene Steratore. He joined us last year for Tell Us Your Story, and we asked him, did he have any sense that that trick play was coming? You know, it's a great question, Glenn. And, and you know, when you do see the coaches the hour before kick, uh, you do ask that. And, and, and truthfully, even before that in the locker room, two officials are assigned to go to each, each uh, team's locker room. Uh, so before they get to the field, to meet with the coach briefly for the special teams numbers of players, uh, for things of that nature. And part of that process and that, that meeting with the coaches is, Coach, is there anything today that you may do that's really unusual that you may, may or may not do that you would like to enlighten us on so that we would be prepared for that in the event that it happens? Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you, uh, uh, 50% of them say get, tell you what they may have, and it may be something very generic, like, you know, we may onside kick early or or – unexpectedly thank you uh others may give you a little background about how their fake punt works um and and the other half say no we're good uh and in this case coach peterson was good 
So, mm-hmm. no, we had no inkling uh, of the play uh, for the naysayers with the formation. We, we don't split hairs in the NFL on every play, uh, naturally, because of the outcome of that play. It, it has been scrutinized as much as any play in the NFL, uh, outside of a couple other catches maybe. So, but, but we never put a lot of emphasis on that. The formation was fine for Balshawn. Nick Foles' situation to be very lost now that we're three years past was – an uneasy situation for me personally because we were worried about having a kicking ball on the field or having a regular football on the field and we weren't sure what they were doing coming out of timeout so the ball really wasn't placed yet once we saw Nick Foles come back onto the field we were exchanging a K ball for a regular ball so that took our attention briefly uh when they broke the huddle and Nick started up toward the line of scrimmage for those that don't know the rule, if he was within one yard of the center and, and walk that close, he could not go in motion then and stay in motion at the snap. He would have had to stop and reset, but he floated up and Nick was smart. He didn't even go behind the center. If you really watch it and he didn't get within one yard of the line of scrimmage. He floated forward and then just went into motion as he did so well and so casually on the play. But as a referee, that's just not something that you're thinking about as a quarterback is kind of walking or sauntering up toward the line about his proximity. So once he left there and then the inevitable happened, the first thing that went through my mind was sheer fear about how close did he come, knowing again it would be so scrutinized to that center. Or, or, or that area. Uh, so I, I perfectly transparent, wasn't really sure how close he got. I knew he wasn't under center, but you know, you just don't know. Uh, and when we you think you got know, it right. Yeah, by think, the way. yeah, I think you, you got it right. We, we, we <laughs> have no, we're good. That's we're right. say no more. We're good. <laughs> totally unbiased. I mean, it was nonsense. You got it right. I appreciate it. There but you go. Right. right? Which Next. I, which I yeah. It yeah. Was right. Yes. Yes. Of course the Eagles won that Super Bowl. And the city went wild. Millions of fans celebrated in the streets, and four days later, the championship parade rolled through Center City to the steps of the Art Museum. Chris Long had won a Super Bowl the previous year with the New England Patriots, but he felt something special when he shared this win with the fans of Philadelphia. He talked about it when he joined us for Tell Us Your Story. They were both really special, and this isn't going to be a political answer. There's no doubt about it. I've said this before, like, you know, Philly was different. It was just different because of the people had waited, you know, 50 years to see a Super Bowl. You know, you run into people older than my pops and my mom, you know, that tell me, hey, they're waiting for this thing. And that's special. That that to me is – that's why you do it. Like, if we just played on a on a field with nobody watching, you know, like people always like say I could play in an alley and that – yeah, you could, but it wouldn't be as fun. You know, it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't take the same pride in what you're doing. The civic like part of this thing, like that Philly shared in this thing, and I'd only been there two years, but the way I felt at home there, you know, at that point, this is my first year. It just was like a, a fairy tale for some of the guys that got there. I mean, like to find a home, some of us, and that home can be a place where we can celebrate this this thing that people have been waiting for for a long time and we get to be a part of that you know the eagles could win another five or ten will always be the first and i think that's really cool and it it means more to me than almost anything in my life that i can go back somewhere 
and feel welcome and we can feel celebrated and, and we can celebrate the fans because it really was a special thing. And the parade is what that's all about. You know, if we just got on a bunch of boats and got drunk and rode around in a circle and didn't tell anybody, it'd be awkward. Mm-hmm. The reason it's awesome is because there's hundreds and thousands and millions of people actually out there and we get to go all the way up to the steps. And from what I remember about the parade, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Ray, the great part of that is um, the, is the parade and what the parade means. Um, the game, the championship, the whole thing. But the parade, and, and we've had players and coaches from, on Tells Your Story, from the Phillies of 1980 and 2008. From the, we had the coach of the 83 Sixers, Billy Cunningham, as a guest for Tells Your Story. We had members of those Flyer Stanley Cup teams. You heard Bob Clark just earlier. And the Super Bowl Eagles. And what it means to the city and the fans to win it and the outpourings you see at those parades, Ray, I don't know if other cities do it as well as Philadelphia does. Uh, I guess I'm sounding very biased when I say this, but uh, I don't think they do. Uh, I think there's uh, just a spirit in this city that comes alive uh, in those occasions, those rare occasions. They don't happen. <laughs> they don't happen all that often. My goodness, we had to wait 52 years for a Super Bowl parade. Uh, but when they happen, when those moments happen, um, something takes over this city that's really, really special. And those of us that were there, those of us that have shared in all of those, and I have, I've been to all of them. Uh, I remember the first parade. Nobody knew what a parade was. I mean, no one was doing those things back then. I mean, now it's just accepted as a matter of course. The, the first flyers when the Bobby Clark discussed. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you know that was the first one of its kind. I mean, there was this idea, oh, they're having a parade, really? Oh, I mm, okay. I mean, that was kind of the way it was. And um, that, that whole scene, that whole celebration sort of set the template for everybody else wanted to do something like it. The Flyers did it again the next year, and then other teams did it, and now you see it all over the place, and now – it's just accepted. Okay, we win a championship, you're going to have a parade. But there was a beauty to the first one because there was kind of an innocence to it. No one exactly knew what they were doing, but everybody, went, but everybody went out and had a good time. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm really, uh, what, I don't know the word I'm looking for, impressed with how much it means to the players, those parades. Because the parades, yeah, they are for the team and the players. But you hear it from Chris Long and you hear it from Bob Clark and from all these guys how it really connects them with the fan base because normally they're performing on the field on the ice right in this one it's like this giant community hug it is it is and it goes across it goes across all the lines i mean the basketball team the baseball team i mean the phillies parades are separated by generations you know you had the 80 team with pete rose and mike schmidt and tug mcgraw and those guys and then you had the later team, the team that came along with, with Brad Lidge and Chase Utley and his famous victory speech. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, it's, it all kind of comes together. I mean, even, even if they're separated by decades, not just years, but decades, there's a, there's a thread that runs through the whole thing that is so wonderful and so Philadelphia that uh, anybody from this city, whether you're a sports fan or not, you can't help but get caught up in it. Yeah, and a guy like Chris Long, who was here for a very short time, two seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Chris Long, that is something that he will always hold. And um, 
It means so much to us. Anyway, this has really been a, a fun hour for us to relive and share some of the great moments of the interviews that we've really enjoyed doing on Tell Us Your Story. This is the first of several best of episodes that we plan to do, and we uh, we always appreciate our audience and you guys being part of it. So that's going to end this hour. Tell Us Your Story best of episodes sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, that was pretty fun, right? Oh, sure. It really was. Really, yeah. It really was. Brought back a lot of memories. It, uh, I got I to, gotta, you know, tip your hat to you, man. It was, this was your idea. Tell us your story was your creation. And uh, I don't think either of us thought we'd still be doing it two years later, but here we are. Yeah, well, it was born out of need and, and desperation because we didn't feel like just I mean, we do enough stupid subjects. We didn't feel like just adding more. Uh, and listen, both of you and I come from a journalism background and like doing long-form interviews, and this gave us the opportunity to do it. And again, once we started doing it, we have kept doing it. Um, and you you did the nice job of picking out all of the highlights for this one. I mean, you went through and listened to all of the ones we did and pulled out the moments, and we're doing it again the next two weeks. Which one? What's next week? Do you remember what the theme is next week? Yeah, next week is, uh, we're calling it Roots, and it's uh, it's people talking about where they grew up, how they grew up, how they made it to Philadelphia, sort of their backstory. So it, it starts with that, but it also ends with, it sort of tells the story about how people came to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. how they got here, and then the second part of it is some people talking about how they had to leave the city being traded, yeah. being fired, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it's it's both. It's kind of how these people grew up and came to Philly and then how they left Philadelphia at the end. So that's uh, and that's going to be it's some really interesting stuff. Bob Clark makes a reappearance. Keith Jones talks about growing up on his farm and finding yes. out that he was drafted into the NHL. <laughs> you know, Dick Vermeil talks. It's such a great it's, story. It's funny. And then we have Dick Vermeil talks about working in his father's garage and um, – and it's, you know, Phil Martelli talks about the pain of being let go at St. Joseph. So, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff in here, but it's all good and it's all listenable and it's going to bring back tremendous memories to anyone who tunes in. Yeah, and we will podcast this episode. So if you want to find it later and listen to it later, you you certainly can. All right. Um, the uh, the big sporting event today is going to be the Liber- Liberty Bell, excuse me, which starts in a little while. Uh, tell Philadelphia fans, give us a couple of people that, you know, maybe we should look at who may be down the road wearing, uh, wearing green. Well, I think that there's, as I said, I, there's, this is a, a draft that's very heavy on uh, defensive linemen. And I think that that's, we all agree that's an area where the Eagles could certainly use some help. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that, this is no surprise, I mean, Jermaine Johnson is a guy from Florida State who started at Georgia, transferred to Florida State, and was a really good player this year uh, and got down to the Senior Bowl and has been really, really good down there. And if the Eagles are going to go looking for – if the Eagles are going to go looking for pass rushers, edge rushers, which they clearly need to improve their pass rush, um, there are a number of really good ones in this draft. Kayvon Thiebaud is, uh, from Oregon is one. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan is obviously another one. But one of the guys that's going to be in this game today that's worth uh, definitely worth looking at is Jermaine Johnson, who um, is really a good player and probably is still going to be on the board in that area where the Eagles are going to be picking. He's probably going to be about a 15-16 kind of guy, so he's worth keeping your eyes on. All right. Anybody else? Linebacker? Give me a linebacker. Well, if I give you a linebacker. Um, they drafted tra- one fifty. 
40, how many years? 44 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 79. Yeah, 43 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, um, there's actually a couple of them, um, you know, a couple of my Georgia guys, a couple of the Georgia guys, you know, Quay Walker and uh, Trayvon Walker uh, are, are two guys from the University of Georgia um, who are outstanding players who are in this game today. And also, I believe, you know, to me, are probably going to be, at least one of them will be a first-round pick, maybe one will be a second-round pick, but those are the kind of guys. If the Eagles really do want to upgrade that area of their defense in, Lord knows they need to. I mean, if you watch the NFL this year, I mean, you can talk all you want about linebackers aren't on the field all the time and they don't play that many snaps, but really good linebackers do and really good linebackers make a difference. I mean, look at what difference Micah Parsons made down in Dallas. You got some of those kind of players in this draft, and these two kids from Georgia are definitely in that category. All right, anybody in the secondary? In the secondary, yeah, Ahmad Gardner is a cornerback from Cincinnati. The Cincinnati team that made the Final Four a little outclassed once they got there, but it wasn't the fault of their cornerbacks. Their defense, they, had, they didn't have the athletes top to bottom that Alabama did, but they had the two cornerbacks can play with anybody, and Ahmad Gardner is definitely one of those guys. I mean, he's, uh, he's got great size. He's six foot three. He's 200 pounds. He's sort of the prototype of what you want your cornerback to be, and he's definitely, he's definitely in that group. And uh, uh, Trent, Trent McGuffey is a guy that I like a lot from the University of Washington, smaller, quicker kind of guy. Uh, but he's one of those guys that's going to be a mid-first-round pick who also will be sort of available to the Eagles in that 15, 16, 19 range if they feel like they want to add another corner, which, to be honest, they could probably use. And also a safety as well. They probably need a safety. Mm-hmm. And, right, well, and, and I'll, I'll throw a name out there. I'll, I'll tell you, Daxton Hill from Michigan is a safety, a big hitter, good blitzer, and he's going to be in this game. So that's maybe a half a dozen names to keep your eye on. But, I mean, I'm – I think, like most people, I'm probably concentrating on the defensive side of the ball. As am I, although that quarterback from Liberty is going to be interesting to watch in this spotlight. All right, we need a caller of the day to win a $50 gift certificate. Who do you got, Dan Wilson? Yeah, we're going with Steve in Charlotte. Uh, he All called right. in. He's got, I'm blanking on the school, but he's got a son playing in a big college basketball game down there in North Carolina today. Uh, and he also had a. Uh, Pretty good sports point as well. So we're going to give it to very much. He wins a $50 gift card to Shibe Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Stick out, check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ShibeSports.com. Ray, you and I will be back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Yes, we will. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay tuned. Go Birds Radio coming up next with James and Elliot for Ray and I. Thanks to Dan Wilson. We'll see you tomorrow right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.